0: sucker.
1: Doing episode four of our Leone series, the movie that kind of the red headed stepchild of uh, Sergio Leone's career, one of the breakout movies of the indies 90s action series. That sounded wrong in my head. We'll see how it goes in editing. <laughs> but we are doing Robert Rodriguez's A Desperado, and also we are doing Sergio Leone's Duck You Sucker. And here with me is someone I was just thought was perfect for it. I know he's a Western, specifically Spaghetti Western guy. He's also one of the co-hosts of the amazing The New World podcast. It is, of course, Ryan. Hey, how's it going?
2: Uh, good, good. Thank you so much for having me, Lindsay. How are you?
1: I am very well, and I am really excited to talk about the, the uh, these movies in particular, because as I said off mic. I actually thought I had seen Desperado, but when sitting down, I hadn't. So this was um, this was kind of amazing to discover Desperado for the first time.
2: Yeah, that is incredible, and I'm so uh, I'm so happy to hear that. That not only I guess not that you hadn't seen it, but that you saw it and you loved it. So that yes. that is makes me happy. Desperado is one of my favorite movies. I definitely would recommend seeing El Mariachi. It's a very interesting uh, debut. And infamous, of course, for being the movie that was made for $7,000. Um, not at all, not exactly true. I mean, certainly what he put together initially. Um, but that's a movie that I saw, and that's my, I got into Robert R- Rodriguez at that time once it was rentable, I should say. But that story was all over the place. This guy made a movie for $7,000. And I was like, what's that? What, what, what is this? So I had to see it. And then that's where I got his book, um, Rebel Rebel Without Without a Crew. crew. And uh, I read that book cover to cover. And I was like, who is this guy? So his next output, uh, Desperado, I was like, I have to see this. I saw it many times in the theater. And I've been kind of a Robert Rodriguez guy through thick and thin.
1: No, because you do have to be through thick and thin. I haven't seen Hypnotic yet.
2: Um... Me neither. I haven't seen that one either. Yeah, but, I know
1: Chris Sotato of um, sometimes inside the sequel has, because he's also a huge uh, Rodriguez guy. And um, even he was being very quiet on it. So I'm like, oh boy.
2: <laughs> yeah, there's, there's you know, you're just like, hey, he's my guy. He's yeah. He's just, he's been my guy for so long. I'm just going to see him through and he loves to challenge himself and he, he loves new challenges. And I will hand it to him that he, like, after seeing Desperado, I thought we were going to get, you know, a million desperados or different sort of action films. And he sort of does a few of those, but he then goes away from it and does spy kids and does all this other stuff. And it's like, okay, that's, that's not where I saw it all going, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm I'm in for the ride.
1: He makes them themselves in his pretty much his backyard. So he can just do whatever he wants. Like he's just one of those directors that is just like, Oh, of course he's the kind of guy who would just go out and make El Mariachi. Um, because that's kind of the director he is yeah, yeah so now he's in a situation where if james cameron comes along and says hey you want to make alita battle Angel*?" i think it is i'm blanking mm-hmm. on the name yep. um yep. i was like yeah he's back um and then he's gonna which make
2: cameron game. was trying to make for years cameron yeah. was trying to get that one off the ground i don't i'm not sure what happened but i kept hearing you know and reading stuff that it was gonna get made gonna get made next thing you know robert rodriguez is making it But I think that that, you know, he didn't quite do everything on Alita Battle Angel, which is a good thing. I sometimes think like he just because you can do everything doesn't always mean you should do everything. I think sometimes you need to. And this movie is kind of proof for it. He edits it, but he uses Guillermo Navarro as the DP. And I think this movie succeeds in in, in having Guillermo Navarro step in and i know that he's also often the guy he does does the steady cam he's a, often the camera operator but just having a different dp having a few other people give him ideas i think is incre- is important for him he could do ever, absolutely everything but i think getting that you know creative feedback from other people is when you look at the better the top tier rodriguez movies he has that and that kind of says something to me
1: yeah, especially when we we look at the Leone, who is definitely considered—if you're going to go into auteur theory—definitely an auteur. But yeah, he is, um always he always collaborates. Like you, he, he never writes the scripts alone. He always has a DP. This one actually has a different DP, and we'll get into it because he, the DP also made an amazing kick-ass um, Palazzi police. I can never say what the word is. Palazzio Tesci. Palazzio Tesci movie, mm-hmm. uh, which I discovered mm-hmm. this year. Um, oh, good holy shit and he also was the dp on this awesome um yeah and it's kind of yeah so you can see kind of the, the collaboration at work with his movies even though when we get into ducky sucker suckers um it is very much this more definitely early only going okay i'm just gonna go forward not not quite full once upon a time in america experimental but i'm definitely heading in that direction because you can tell that's what interests him yeah, yeah there's of... there's
2: influence in Ducky Sucker of like the script itself, which he had a hand in. But
1: he but wasn't the main writer, unlike some he of those wasn't other the movies. main writer. Yeah,
2: correct. And and though, but his influence on the movie <laughs> when you see it is is like is, is you know, is extreme, you know, and what he what he focuses the movie on. There's a bit of push and pull in Ducky Sucker as, oh. a, as a result. Yes, and and uh, and there's 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 some of that to Rodriguez as well because you know he would write like his initial draft for El Mariachi was 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 not long and he was nervous that it wouldn't have enough. But even in Desperado, much like El Mariachi, he would build sequences on the fly and build sequences and then have other people sometimes film stuff. He doesn't even have a use a second unit director. He likes to shoot everything. There is a small sequence, though, of just um, Antonio Banderas uh, lighting candles and sort of looking in the mirror and putting his hair in a ponytail, all that stuff, directed by Antonio Banderas. He did it all himself while Robert Rodriguez was doing other things. And he said, yeah, go ahead and shoot that whole sequence, Antonio.
1: Yeah. And we'll get into it. Quentin Tarantino pops up in this movie because at that point, they're buddies. And I can't can't imagine Quentin not being on any kind of set and throwing around an idea. So it's he's on the yeah. set. He, yeah, that's what
2: he loves. Yeah, yeah I can't remember, uh, but I think there's part of that joke, big joke that he tells that is from Tarantino. Yeah, so he's not you know, Yeah, he's very, very, you know, th- they're both very collaborative, but uh, I would say Rodriguez is a little bit more, you know, ha- happy to have people throw stuff in. And uh you know, Leone was fam- famous for working with a lot of collaborators, but also fighting a lot of his collaborators. So the, the stories you know. of
1: him and uh, Morricone are amazing that he would, Leone would just storm into his house. Like, I think he would just oh, not even knock and just start yelling at him.
2: <laughs> oh, And out. the score for Ducky Sucker is so good. Oh, oh my God. Morricone. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's it's really it's really good. It's one of his better scores. It is He did great stuff with Leone Morricone. I mean, the two of them.
1: I mean, yeah, I think it and I think it was that tension that push and build that kind of pushed him to do some amazing stuff. But yeah, we'll get into the especially Rod Steiger who wanted to collaborate. And I by the sounds of it, Leone was not having any of it, (laughs) but
2: Steiger also had that same sort of my collaboration is I I want what I want.
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Which is Leone's collaboration as well. <laughs> no, you will record sound. Itali's like, we don't know how to do that. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll, we'll get, let's do this. um So, yeah, we're sitting down, imaginary theater, curtains are opening. It's going to be the glory that is Desperado and that amazing sequence with uh, Steve Shimi opening the movie. um But, Ryan, what is going to be your first trailer for Desperado?
2: My first trailer for Desperado, uh because as I said, I got into El Mariachi. I had heard about this guy making a movie in Mexico for $7,000. I grew up in San Diego, so I was, of course, extremely intrigued. Here's a guy, you know, not too far from where I live. He's made this movie. This is so cool. <clears throat> and so when his next movie comes out, Desperado, I couldn't wait to see it. However, in reading his book, I realized that actually Desperado was not his second movie. his his third movie. Oh, wow. His second movie is my first trailer, and that is Road Racers from 1994.
0: That music is turning the kids into a bunch of sex-hungry, beer-drinking, road-racing werewolves. An
3: outlaw teen (laughs) on a fast track to nowhere. The world's not really accommodating to people who want to do
0: things differently.
3: In a town where you play by the rules.
0: Nobody makes their own rules in my town.
3: Or you're playing with fire. Are you sure you want to be going out with someone like Dude?
2: I'll
3: be sure to get her back. Just later. Yeah. From Robert Rodriguez, director of the acclaimed El Mariachi.
2: Which uh, is a movie he shot right after, is the first one he shot. He shot it beforehand. He talks about it in his, in his book that yeah. he, after El Mariachi, he was so uh, like thinking, okay, everyone's going to be looking at me going, okay, what next? What's your next thing? So he's like, so I went out and just decided to make, a a ton of stuff that way nobody could really even know what my next movie was. So he goes out and he makes road racers for Showtime, which is a a, like a fifties racer greaser movie, basically with um, Salma Hayek is one of the leads and also David Arquette. And it's just like a 1950s throwback movie that went straight to Showtime. And we didn't have Showtime. So I was unaware of this. And so as soon as I read this book, I'm like, crap so i run out and try and see if i can rent you know uh, at the time it's all video stores so i'm out there trying to find a copy of road racers because now i need to see it um and so he goes out and shoots that one and shoots it he says here in the book uh road racers uh in 13 days he shot it oh he's always been Showtime. quick
1: looks like look, looks like he was always quick off the bat I and mean, yeah, yeah, he shoots good-
2: it yeah mariachi style he calls it shooting uh road racers
1: yeah, this is insane. It also has John Hawk, uh, Hawks and William Sadler. You need to watch this. I had not even heard of it, uh, but yeah, this looks yeah. absolutely insane.
2: And this is the time, you know, before really uh, internet was all over the place. So I have to learn about this movie by reading his book and then have to run out and go see it because I've never heard of it. I-, I didn't know what was going on, but I was like, this this is actually his second movie because he does that. Then he does Desperado. He shoots very quickly also um, a scene in four rooms or yes. a section of four rooms. The best section of four rooms, uh, quite frankly. Um, a lot of that movie is a little rough. But, oh uh, yeah, and then and then goes flies right into uh, from Dust till dawn. So he just was like, I'm just gonna make 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 a bunch of stuff, knowing it may may all come out at different times, and nobody will really be able to say this is his follow up. That's the next thing he does. That's that. He just tried to flood the market with tons of stuff.
1: It's interesting with this kind of uh, era of film, brat with him, Quentin Tarantino, uh, uh, Paul Anderson, and a few bunch of others that they were very conscious of what their follow-up was going to be or, or how people were going to perceive their film outtake from the very, very beginning. And it's probably because they all their heroes in the 70s, uh, Scorsese, Bill Coppola, um, and um, De Palma, all kind of had that run. So they're already really conscious of, I mean, the fact, I couldn't imagine exactly knew what he was doing with Reservoir Dogs then going on to Pulp Fiction. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson was probably very aware of Wait, the second movie was like Boogie Nights, wasn't it? Or am I missing one?
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. No, Boogie Nights. Yeah, Boogie Nights. After um, Hard Eight. Hard uh, Eight. Yeah, Sydney. Is Sydney. He, is, it he, wanted to memory. call it, and then they wouldn't want to much. call it that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, and it is all about Sydney. Um,
2: <laughs> yeah. Gotta love that movie. <laughs> it's it's really good. It's really good not to deviate off it. But this is a time in the nineties yeah. where like indie film was back. Yes. And these indie film directors, it's not you know the same. But I would, you could correlate it a bit too. What you're saying, the 1970s, when you had all these, where these directors were becoming known names, where we were, you know, here's a new movie from William Friedkin. Okay, well, I want to see that. Like you know, here's the next Coppola movie, that kind of thing. And so now we're having Quentin Tarantino and we have Paul Thomas Anderson and we have Robert Rodriguez and we have uh, Steven Soderbergh. Yes, uh, that's who the ben, guy I'm blanking on. Then mm. jumps from, you know, indie world into, you know, full on Ocean's Eleven, you know, superstar, uh, uh, the, yeah, superstar uh, director uh, and, uh, and uh Academy award-winning. And,
1: and then goes back and to then back. Win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, a director yeah. who just does what he wants. Like, that's a very rare position, but him and Rodriguez, I'm like, I'm just gonna make a movie about the Panama Papers and I'm gonna have everyone in it and no one's gonna like it but I don't particularly
2: care. Another guy that I fell in love with at that time because this was all time that I was just like renting movies and working in video stores and so all the like you know I got in on sex lies and videotape and I have a book up on my shelf from of Soderbergh about that about with the script and with all these journals of Soderbergh that he wrote when he was traveling around trying to sell sex lies and videotape and so I got in. This, these are all my guys. These hmm. are <laughs> these, you know, um, uh, guys and gals of that time. Uh, and 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 you had to sort of be, you know, you had to be aware because people were looking and seeing what is your next thing. I think probably no one uh, was more hyper aware and is not, or is hyper aware as Quentin Tarantino has been. You know, his tenth movie is coming out, and then he is. <laughs> walking into the sunset and all this drama about the end of his career i'm like come on just make some movies man just make calm some down. movies calm, just down. calm yeah. down buddy calm but down he's... buddy we love your movies just let us love you okay calm down
1: stop being a prick like can you yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> um just chill out just chill out it's no but he is very quentin tarantino has always been very hyper aware about how a movie is going to be perceived how mm-hmm. how he makes his movies almost it's it's he makes the stuff he wants but at the same time he's like okay this is my you know, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood is my 1960s, kind of '50s uh, Hollywood piece. My war pieces and glorious bastards. Like he's very aware of my
2: westerns. Yeah, no, my yeah, westerns,
1: totally. sure. uh, My kung fu movie. He's very aware of the sh- of him creating the shape where there's Robert Rodriguez is like, yeah, you know what? I'm a I'm a dad now. I want to make spy kids. Like it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. Well, he you know he started making. I mean, he made El Mariachi because he was going to just put it out in the Mexican video market that's yeah. all he thought he was going to do he just wanted he, to make a movie
0: yeah
2: yeah but he shot it all what on like a 16 millimeter maybe you, you know, some maybe eight millimeter yeah. i want to say but maybe that's that's it sounds ludicrous so maybe i'm wrong on that um so and he and he transfers it all to video and he edits the whole movie on video on vhs going reel to reel i think if i recall oh, wow. correctly from yeah. his book um just you know for kids at home that's mm. two different video Two different video decks yeah. uh, and you're just sort of like using uh, something in between to sort of like put video onto the next thing. And then you're cutting it all together, but all on videotape. And he put together a trailer and that's what like gets, I think, Columbia involved. And suddenly he it gets to them and they see this trailer and they want to be like, what is this movie? Uh, eventually th- they buy it and he has to go. He redoes they paid to have him redo the sound and re like they did lots of extra work on it. So it's not exactly the seven thousand dollar movie that he initially made. But, you know, th- all he was thinking was, I'm going to make a movie for Mexican video. That's yeah. And he thought, I'll make a trilogy of these. I'll make a bunch of these movies about uh, mariachi with guns in his guitar case. And we'll just shoot him real quick and dirty in Mexico and put him out on video market Because he had already made tons of short films. He was like, let's just make movies because you'll learn. So just Hmm. make a bunch. And he was like, I'll make a bunch and I'll make a bunch of these video movies for Mexico and I'll learn a bunch and who knows what happens from there. And that's all he thought.
1: I mean, it's like Kevin Smith uh, maxing out, like also the famous story, maxing out a whole bunch of credit cards and um, to make clerks at the convenience store he was working at with his friends. And then all of a sudden it gets picked up by Sundance and then Miramax. And then it's, kind of, it's the same sort of story, it's these, uh, the studios were definitely looking for this kind of movie that was El Mariachi, that was Clerks, that was Reservoir Dogs. They were, Um, the Reservoir Dogs is a different story because it has Harvey Cartel in it and a whole bunch of other, which, it, it...
0: It yeah. helps
2: get it financed, for sure. It, exactly. It's hard to, yeah. to tell how it got financed. But yeah. yeah, it was a sellable story because you can, you know, Robert Townsend had made Hollywood Shuffle uh, all paid on his credit card. And I remember when that came out, that was all could, people could talk about. He just, you know, maxed out all these credit cards and made a movie and now go see it. And it was a story you could tell, you know, and exactly. the $7,000 mm-hmm. movie, El Mariachi, you know, like that's the story, right? Yeah.
1: It's Like the battery, uh, by Jeremy Gardner, which was I think five thousand dollars, or the fact oh. that, um, which is an am- oh, you, yeah, it's a great movie. Uh, oh, I up love
2: here it. on the show, I absolutely love battery. The battery is fantastic, it's amazing. Fantastic. And
1: it's got that same story of they just got the money together and they just went and made a movie. Um, the uh, Sam Raimi who went to dentist and chiropractors, or maybe it was the Coen <laughs> brothers, I think both of them did the same. No,
2: um, I think they did get money from a dentist in order to make evil dead. I think yes. you're, you're absolutely right on yes. that. Yeah. yeah, and, and and it got similar dubious fundage for Crime Wave, I believe, as well. Which... <laughs>
1: yes, I did that. I was just like, did my <laughs> company to make this? Oh, we, we don't remember. Oh, okay. Yeah, very
2: strange <laughs> amount, sources of money, you know. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, so there's, there's kind of always that legend behind it. And yeah, I need to see um, this movie because I had never heard of it. I just assumed he went straight from Al Mariachi straight onto... Um, to Desperado, so yeah, and the cast is wow.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's it's not unlike John Carpenter when he got to make Halloween. Before he did that, he quickly did um Someone's Watching Me.
0: Yes,
2: and he shot that before he made Halloween with I think largely the same, a lot of the same crew. Yeah,
1: because that's a TV so, movie. Someone's it's a watching... TV
2: movie. Yeah. Correct. Yes, which is actually really good. I really oh. liked it. It's really, it's really a, a great movie.
1: TV uh, so movies in <laughs> the seventies and eighties are su- yeah, really,
2: really good. What's really surprisingly good? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I was, I was about to say uh, this just in. John Carpenter made a good movie. Uh, oh, surprise! <laughs> a John real, real huge surprise. <laughs> Wait, John Carpenter
3: made one? John, are you John sure?
2: Carter made a good movie? Are you sure? Oh, he, he made one. He made a good one. Okay, interesting. <laughs> um but yeah it and he did that right before halloween so he could be like i got you know this experience now i'm ready to go into halloween and make this other movie and i don't think um someone's watching me comes out till afterwards but you know he'd shot it right beforehand to kind of let's get this thing and so uh, road racers is kind of the same thing i'm just going to get in there make another movie real quick be ready to go and then he rolls into desperado so uh you know so smart on his part just like yeah (laughs) uh, just yeah,
1: do this, as much stuff as you can because that's the way you learn and so when it gets to desperado it's um it, yeah it's it's rough and yet it's intricate at the same time which kind of surprised me but that again first time i've seen this movie um, yeah
2: it's a much more sure footing than el mariachi even yeah. and even road racers they're definitely a little bit more scrappy and this one has you know he's got a little bit more money he gets a dolly he's got uh steady cam he's able to do a little bit more in this movie visually but uh so he's but he has a couple movies under his belt already so yeah, he's so we, definitely a lot more confident you know oh, you
1: can definitely tell that with with uh desperado actually you know what for my first trail i am gonna go for i'm gonna go canon it's another revenge movie i just sort of oh, fell in love with nice it. um but i'm gonna go revenge of the ninja Sam Furstenberg. <laughs> the
0: greatest ninja warrior vows to give up killing. My sword is sealed forever. But a ninja cannot escape his destiny. It will follow him from the gardens of Japan to the streets of America. Get those people out of here. Oops. The heroin spilled out. Damn it! He's caught in a drug war between the American mafia and the Japanese Yakuza. Are you trying to tell me there's ninjas running around there killing people in the 20th century? I'm so a disciple of evil who kills for pleasure. Only a ninja can stop a ninja.
1: I think, yeah, Sam's nice. becoming my boy. He He's, um, Canon just he, gave him money and he just went wild with it. <laughs> Not much money because, again, uh, dodgy mm-hmm. finances, but...
2: <laughs> sure. Well, yeah, with those two those two cousins, yeah, they were always yeah. a little... They were very dodgy with their funding. Yeah. But yeah, Sam Furstenberg made some entertaining fucking movies. Yeah. The guy, uh, they, they are some fun movies, what he made for Canon. Really good stuff. Yeah. I love this movie. Revenge of the Ninja is fantastic.
1: I mean, the whole yeah. series, the whole, you know. the whole Ninja series. I mean, from Franco Nero to in a the all six foot three of them in a massive white ninja suit, to this with <laughs> um, a, a whole family getting assassinated right from the get go, um, to Ninja Three Dominion, which is seriously its own <laughs> wild.
2: Its own I, just makes you look at V eight in a whole new way, and you know. Uh,
1: ninja hides at ninja hideouts and um oh my god that scene with the golf course is just
2: um, amazing
1: oh my god uh this was my first um shokuzuki uh movie sure um so it's just this yeah it's just a really fun ninja i'm gonna get the people who killed my family kind of movie it moves really quick it's insanely entertaining a lot like desperado like it's just when it it just moves at such a clip that you sort of wonder how you got to the next scene because it just moves so so freaking quickly. And there's a five year old who is an insanely he beats up a woman, which is yeah, it's a mm-hmm. great movie.
2: <laughs> I think that's that's his son too, right? It is yeah, sure, Kane, yeah. Son. yeah, yeah. Who, who who's gone on to have a nice little career himself. So yeah, and but they made a bunch of those little movies, the Kasuki clan, around that time uh what black eagle pray for death pray for death i need my
1: next one um, i need to yeah i, I have i
2: have yeah, yeah i have that one uh in the other room mm. and that one's a probably one of the the top one of the better ones mm. um black eagle if i'm saying that title right um that's the one with uh jean-claude van damme oh and yes yeah it's it's okay um it felt more like uh kasugi just being able to um get his family a trip to greece but why not no, i mean people you know it's fun to go to greece with your family and make a movie so i'm not gonna hate on the guy for that but yeah exactly. it's um but yeah like the, a lot of those movies are really good but that that's uh obviously revenge of the ninja that's that's uh one of the great endings too just some incredible stunts there. oh my
1: yeah. god yeah by the yeah. pool and and they just yeah some really amazing stunts and some work it's It's just a really, really fun, fun movie.
2: Yeah, super fun stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah. What's gonna be your second trailer?
2: My second trailer, speaking of um, people working in 1980s or 90s exploitation, uh, I'm gonna go with my boy James Glickenhaus with a movie called McBain. Yes!
3: I've been expecting you. It is the right of the people to provide for the common defense. Does this rebel army have any money? It's not enough.
0: It is the right of the people
3: to promote the general
0: welfare. This is our annual fundraising drive, and we would like you to contribute $10 million. It is the right of the people to rise up.
2: because uh i have yet to watch this disc i just got the new synapse but i'm a huge fan of this movie so i'm excited to re-watch this um but uh you know you make a guy a promise and you rip half a dollar bill and when you come to collect you got to take down a foreign nation and it's about you know revenge again but also taking down drug dealers and you know a dictator and uh it's uh christopher walken just being a complete badass and uh it is one of the most fun movies um you could watch and james glickenhouse was just an excellent uh director of these kinds of movies and got sick of the whole system and went on to work in race cars and finances and i'm sure he's doing just fine now but yeah but man could he make a movie you really
1: could he also did the executioner from the
2: executioner uh the soldier yes he did um showdown Mm. oh yes that's the one um where he, he shot a bunch of great stunts at 42nd street uh Where when when it was way back in the in the day when it had all the real grindhouse theaters there and all that, so um, and it's not the same looking now. And McBain's one of the tail end. It's definitely Mm. one of the tail end of his of his movies, but it's a really good one. Um, You you're a fan of this one too, right?
1: Yeah, I am. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. This is this is just a great film. It's just.
1: he does this thing with this movie it's kind of like sam Furstenberg, where he just makes them so entertaining they just like zoom by um and you're wondering yeah because um oh who's in showdown it's peter weller and um the camera i'm blanking on his
2: name sam elliot
1: sam elliot like swinging down on a thing going for down 42nd street and showdown yep. and this right. kind of has that same energy but they're in kind of like this it's south america somewhere with the, mm-hmm. lots of cocaine taking out drug dealers and this kind of mythic mess myth, and they're just like oh my god it's just so much shooting up people it's kind of it's insane to the point of oh my god how did we get here but you're just grinning from ear to ear when you watch it it's that type of 80s propulsive energy and it's it's so much fun
2: and it's you know to to really think of, I was trying to think of this in terms of also how it would work with, with Desperado. It's like the, it's that era and what Desperado is still, is, is in that era too, because it's not, it's not too far from, from McBain. But we're doing practical effects, we're doing practical explosion, we're doing practical stunts. All this stuff is like, you know, now it's all being done on green screen and, you know, doing a lot of, you know, we were just watching, what were we watching? We were watching Secret Invasion. Oh, yeah. And... And it goes from like a helicopter that's clearly CGI, and then they actually blew up a real one, and you see that shot, and you're like, There's the real helicopter, but then here's the helicopter coming towards you. It's just all this stuff that is this mix, but it just it looks so mixed. It does. <laughs> and we had so, and you know, this is the days of like, no, we're just blowing stuff up, you know. We're we're in desperado, we're really blowing the stuff up, but no, it's it- a safe distance, but we have a Killer hero shot of Soma Hayek and Antonio Banderas walking away from a giant explosion, and it looks incredible.
1: Yes, Uh, and it's real. Yes, that's kind of the thing. It gives me hope that one of the biggest movies of the year replicated a nuclear bomb explosion. Practically, and that's the movie that is making money. Um, of course, it's Christopher Nolan. Um, sorry, I've still got Oppenheimer in my head, like. It won't leave my head, which I'm very annoyed <laughs> by. But yeah, and that's Nolan's thing. Like, he can get away with that. He's like, no, 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 I'm
2: just going to... He can get away with it because he's been getting away with that kind of stuff. But even a lot of his Batman movies have a great mix. I mean, like, I don't mind CGI stuff. I think John Favreau said it best because he gets the whole Iron Man job because he did um, Zathustra? Am I getting that name right? Um, yes. it, it's And that was a mix of... Um, zathura i'm sorry zathura yeah. i knew i was having that wrong i'm throwing in an s when it's in when it's an R. uh zathura and he he did that movie and that was which was i've only seen once but it was a very good movie and that had a lot of mix of cgi but also practical effects and mm. if you blend them in a in a very good way they look great but when it's you're just sort of forcing two of those things together it doesn't seem to work as well and obviously it's better when it just looks real and you can shoot these things real you just you know it's not as easy when you're shooting a lot of this stuff inside a studio
1: exactly um like i just watched uh star trek beyond which does a full mixture of practical and cgi and that this blended really well because they are using green screen like matte paintings and they've got sets but then they will of course because it's star trek have to sort of mix the two and yeah no you can blend the two it just takes a little longer which i don't think yeah from what I'm reading and noticing, Disney's giving a lot of people the time to blend. They're just kind of like, no, no, we're going to get this out now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're in an era, too, where now it's not just like we're doing green screen. We are basically creating environments inside yeah. a studio, and there is no real place. Uh, not to skip ahead, but Ducky Sucker is actually, they shoot these, there's these sections of like uh, where he's thinking about his time in Ireland, and they really shot them in Ireland. Yes. <laughs> like, and you can tell. Like, <laughs> Even didn't if you're only... thinking about it, the- yes, you can tell. Man. You didn't have to. Yeah. You did not need to go that far, but it's like, no, we did it because you can authentically see that it's Ireland. I mean, you can see the even green the rolling Hills and yes. even the pub. We can't recreate that in Spain or wherever Almira or wherever they were shooting the rest of it. And so, but so they're like, yeah, we have to travel. This Italian American production has to travel to Ireland for a few days, just to shoot some scenes in Ireland. And I'm sure that that's expensive, but, but boy, you can really tell, you yeah. know, it's, it's, it, you can tell is that's man, Ireland.
1: This is a man who made his career by making Spain look like pretending to be America. And the, I love mm-hmm. the fact that he actually goes to, it's like, <laughs> yes. he goes to Ireland. It's like, i like, you didn't have to do di- all right. Leone, you're a madman. It's like, like what's that <laughs> story with Friedkin, the famous story of how, when he's making sorcerer, the, the studio wanted an insert to show how fast the um of the speedometer of the truck to show how fast it was actually going, and Friedkin did, specifically did not want to do that. It's the whole point of sorcery he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to show mm-hmm. you. The students were getting assistant. Okay, so I have to go, but I have to go back to the jungle to shoot it because it's authentic and it's just that.
2: That's how things were done at the time, you know. Yes! And I would even say, like, you could have found some sp- part in Spain, and there's got to be an English pub somewhere in spain you could probably travel to so going to ireland's probably it's a big step but god bless Mm because it's it's awesome that he does it for just the small sequences he did and he maybe sold it because he's like i don't have to be there long yeah i I only need a few days
1: i've only only got Coburn and Woolbeck. uh like david warbeck just goes anywhere so it's fine (laughs) (laughs) yeah
2: it's not gonna be hard he'll come in he'll do his thing i'll fire a couple squibs in a pub Uh, uh you know they'll run through uh a field with a with a nice hill behind them and they'll take a drive down a road
1: and we're out yeah you know really so, awkward slow motion kissing with james colbert it's gonna be great
2: <laughs> but i will you know there's something to the authenticity of those things and it's, yeah, it is it is hard to replicate that's the thing about getting back to my point McBain desperado these are real practical uh films and yeah. the effects are they it works because you know you're using real effects. It really, it,
1: yeah, it's, it's hard to beat. It, it's hard to beat, and there is a tactility on it when you are watching it. Um, so I guess when I'm talking about my final trailer, because I, sort of, I was watching Desperado, I realized, oh, this is a spaghetti western, but if just dueling pistols. And so I had to go to the original dueling pistol guy, but I'm going to go for one of his American movies. Uh, that's, of course, John Woo's Broken Arrow from 1996. Nice. Oh. We got ourselves a broken
0: arrow. A broken what? It's what we call it when we lose a nuclear weapon. I don't know what's scarier, losing nuclear weapons, but that it happens so often there's actually a term for it. The only thing more dangerous than what he knows. They believe they've got an exposed core. They gotta send in a nuclear emergency search team. By the time they find us, we'll be gone. Is what he's prepared to do. $250 million by 0900 Utah time. If you have not... Good God. I don't know what the big deal is. I really don't. But there's one thing. Smile, boys. We're about to retire. He didn't count on. I know his mind works. You got to let me go after him.
1: Outstanding hell.
3: That's the spirit.
1: Again, that practicalness. um, There's a way that uh, Travolta smokes a cigarette that is... Pure woo, like you're just watching it, going. Oh, so we is he gonna like light up with a counterfeit hundred dollar bill now? It's it's a bit wonky. It's not my favorite of his, but I the more I watch it, the more I enjoy it. I think the whole yeah, animal kind of tainted it, but it's it's such a good. I mean, Travolta just eat that movie up. I mean, it's kind of fantastic. Again, all practical as well.
2: Yeah. Oh, and it's it, it is. The only thing about it for me that is always a little bit disappointing is it's a little less of the woo flourishes, which is fine. But, you know, uh, you know, so but for me, like his best American movie to me is Hard Target. And I've only chosen that for like a two or five times. So I decided not to do (laughs) (laughs) you had to do something different. I get it. I totally it's
1: like, get it. how many times have I chosen face-off how many times have I chosen hard target I, I yeah I have to go
2: <laughs> I gotta go I gotta do something else but there's also you know there's a pump up the volume reunion on that one which is also terrific yeah um with Samantha Mathis and Christian Slater and you know there's a lot there's it's a fun movie there's a lot of fun in Broken Arrow um I, I get sad a little bit for his American career because I just I wish it had gone better I was again also in complete my complete woodum at that point at that point you know getting uh bootlegged vhs tapes of his movies in order to be able to see him and get you know seeing reservoir dogs and going okay i got to see city on fire and see what he ripped off you know um and uh and he did he ripped off city on fire pretty well oh, <laughs> for that end that ending scene but um but it. that's, that's ringo yeah. lamb that's ringo Lamb not john woo but um uh, yeah. but uh but yeah, I was getting into a lot of those Wu movies. So when I saw Hard Target in the theater, I was like, hell yeah, he's in America now. This is going to be amazing, <laughs> which I think I mentioned in another podcast mm-hmm. of yours. But uh, but then, yeah, Broken Arrow, is like, okay, that's still, pre- that's still pretty fun. It's pretty good. But like it it, it kind of, uh, I guess it's... people would probably say Face Off. A lot of people, there's a lot of people that are big fans of that one, right? Oh, so...
1: Face Off was my first woo, but I was very oh, confused. Okay by it i was a teenager expecting kind of more of a con air just because i didn't know who john woo was and all i knew it had travolta and nick cage in it so i was just sort of expecting the other kind of 90s action movie which is more bay kind of thing so i remember watching face off going i don't know what this is are not <laughs> yeah. realizing that i'm watching john a john woo movie i think i think eventually the american his american career kind of bled the wooism out of him
2: Yeah, he becomes like, even Face Off to me is like a little less and less of the Wusup, though uh, the plot of it is straight out of a Hong Kong action movie. Oh, absolutely. the plot of it being like yeah no we can just move faces around no big deal that's just something that something that happens what about the physicality it doesn't matter it works don't worry about it let's move on story, don't think about story. it too much let's move on what does the person have gravity boost don't worry move on Let's just looks it, cool. doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't matter it doesn't, it doesn't matter work. it doesn't matter let's just have fun <laughs> so like that has such a hong kong movie plot to it but it it, it has less of what i think you know he did so much in some of those you know or the, those hong kong movies that made his career but um but you know he's still back he's still making movies now so you know we got silent night coming maybe so which
1: is a remake um, a silent remake of the killer is it or
2: i that, think so yeah, yeah. no just, it yeah yeah which i'm so intrigued by right?
1: yeah he's just taking all the dialogue out i'm like oh, this is fascinating it's just going to be feel style i am so in
2: yeah right. me yeah. too cannot wait and cannot uh wait. yeah excited love love woo that's awesome yeah it's a great trailer
1: yes it is a great trailer the trailer is actually better than the movie but it's <laughs> i still really enjoy broken error and i think john travolta eats that movie up even if i think it is a bit too american but i think it's a, just that there's a 90s actionness that i love and desperado is so in the middle of that so to watch it and realize oh this i haven't seen this movie and it is so cool and we'll get into desperado but
0: i was visiting a bar and then he walked you saw his face his face no i mean every step he took towards the light just when you thought his face was about to be revealed it wasn't it was as if the lights dimmed just for him they call him a loner.
3: I know who you are. Really? You kill drug dealers.
0: They killed a the woman I loved.
3: You ruined my life. They called him a miss. You've heard stories of
0: that man that carries a guitar case full of weapons. Find him and kill him. I hope you don't think you can take someone like Ucho all by yourself. Really? They made the mistake of calling his bluff. Is something in the guitar case? My guitar. Now
3: it's time to face the music. Let's play.
1: Steve Buscemi walking into a bar. I was like, wait, did Quentin Tarantino write this part? Like, it I know, feels, I know, it right? It feels so Tarantino. Him just like that storytelling kind of, it feels, but it's Steve, Bus- but maybe because it's Steve Buscemi, I don't know, but it is one of the greatest. I loved it so much. I just started grinning.
2: I, I'm sure that they were able to trade ideas because I think, again, I, I was wanting to confer with Rebel Without a Crew because it's been a while since I've read it, but. I believe that's when he was doing the sound mixing and everything for El Mariachi is around that time when he actually meets Tarantino. Hmm. And because I think Tarantino's also doing stuff around that time. Um he so he's maybe was working around the same studios and that's how yeah. they sort of so they sort of connect. And then of course their movies are then they're connecting, going to film festivals and they're meeting each other that way. So they, they have, you know, a long history and really came up together so no doubt i'm sure he he takes steve bashenny and what he said in the on the commentary is that he you know he only had seven million dollars for desperado so what he did was uh to get some of these bigger name people was to pay them for like a week even though he's only going to use them for a couple days
1: oh okay
2: he comes in and says okay i'll pay you for a week but you're going to be here for like three days because we're going to shoot like they shoot that opening scene and they shoot all the dialogue. Mm. Then they're going to shoot the action the next day, which Bashimi is not a huge part of. And they shoot Bashimi stuff in a couple of days at the same time. Cheech Marin as well. So mm. he's trying to like, get these people in here. We're going to shoot you out and off you go. And he's already done two movies very, very quick.
1: So he Lots knows how to get in a
2: day. Yep. Mm. He knows how to go in and, and, and even Guillermo Navarro is, you know, he's like the, he works very fast. And that's what they needed. They needed mm. stuff to go in and out very quickly. And though he also storyboarded the sequence, you know, uh, very heavily because he wanted to know exactly what he was going to go in and shoot. Well, he would have had the, to
1: because, yeah, because the action set pieces are insane.
2: And insane. he only had $7 million.
1: He shot really quickly. And there didn't feel like enough time to sort of plan out, especially when uh, Banderas is like flying backwards off the, off the building into the other building while mm-hmm. shooting a guy. It, it, it it which doing... is a stunt
2: he did. He yeah. does all his stunts and he's done on wires and they erase the wires digitally. Mm. But he's like there's they they did most of the movie with two stunt guys. That's yeah. how he was oh, he says God. on the commentary on the Blu-ray's like you want to know how high you make a 7 million dollar look like a 30 million dollar movie? You'd use a couple stunt guys. One of the guys in fact that comes in when Tarantino a guy who has no teeth. Mm. He plays la- later on, he's got Wigs on. He's got a mustache on. He's got all these, he comes in and out, does all these different things and plays all these different characters to get shot. It's like the same two guys. And so throughout the commentary, Rodriguez is mentioning like the couple different guys. Oh, there's that guy. Oh, yeah. There he is again. Yeah. You know, I just shot him here and I shot him there. Like it's just them in different, you know, outfits Mm. and different costumes, just, you know, a couple different stunt guys. And that's how he did it. He didn't have like a huge team. He just had a couple guys doing it. But he said nobody could replicate antonio banderas we had nobody that could look like him so he had to do his own stuff and he did so they put jumps off on wires and they erase the wires and then he lands but crazy and it was on the trailer it's looked it was you know if you didn't want to see the movie and you see him leap off the building firing guns you're like well i'm in Mm. let me go let me go see that movie
1: (laughs) Uh, yeah i mean the trailer has that it has him with the the guns coming out of his sleeve. I mean, there are so many moments that if you didn't think you wanted to watch this movie and then watched it, you go, oh, I'm watching it. And now that stuff has kind of gone into um, an action movie lexicon of things that you do in a movie. Like, it's kind of feels like this is... not exactly the first, because you know where Rodriguez's um, influence is kind of like. But at the same time, it's kind of like, oh, but he's doing it in this way. And it's...
2: Yeah, he... Um, yeah, in... in... His action in this, I really did think, as I was saying, if I was saying it off, Mike, I can't remember, but uh, I really did think he was going to make a series of these kinds of movies. I thought, OK, this is what we're going to get from Rodriguez. And certainly, you know, From Dust Till Dawn has a lot of this kind of flavor. Um, he eventually gets back to Once Upon a Time in Mexico, which to me has less successful results than Desperado to, to me. A little bit more bloated, a little bit more in his full Leone. Kind of yes, kind of <laughs> like let me like, really add lots of elements because, to this thing.
1: Yeah, because when I thought of th- I, when I was thinking when I was pairing it, I was actually thinking of Once Upon a time in Mexico, and I'm kind of glad I chose Desperado because to have two bloated movies to get together, I think would have been a mistake. <laughs> but Desperado is lean and mean, and very much its- so gets in and gets out. And Leone's it- going to hang around for a
2: while. <laughs> <laughs> yes Le- leone's gonna linger he's gonna do a lot of tracking shots oh my god yes. a lot of a lot of push-ins mm. but but actually what's funny to me is watching it i uh i'm often as a dad looking to movies i want to watch you know when the kids are asleep i'm looking for something short yeah it's like it's hard to put in something that's like two and a half hours you're like i don't know if i'm gonna make this <laughs> i gotta find something short so i'm when you when you look at to Des- desperado I, I i think of it as a 90 minute movie but it's an hour and forty-five. Yeah, but it moves so fast and so well that, and even takes a sequence out. It takes a whole action sequence out. He took an action sequence out. Holy shit! The ending, the yes. ending movie when they just fade out. He co- talks about it in in the commentary. He couldn't even remember in the commentary. He can't even remember if he sh- if he shoots Bucho. He's like, oh, I don't think you even shoot Bucho. Mm. he kind of talks about it beforehand. Then he sees it. He's like, oh, no, we did. Okay, we le- we live in him shooting Buccio. Okay, I, can't, I couldn't remember. But ending, he fades out on it.
1: it. It Yeah, it's... um The ending does feel really quiet considering everything that has happened to the point. And when he finally gets to Bucha, they finally have their kind of... They're reckoning with each other. And it's just a simple bang, bang. It does feel very quiet, but it kind of works. It's mm-hmm. almost like, well, the point wasn't to kill him. The point was to kind of let him know which he does throughout the movie. That I am coming for you, and the whole brother thing kind of was like,
2: does he need to be his brother? Oh, okay, maybe. Yeah, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, to, I mean, it didn't have to be, but sure, sure it doesn't. Okay, did not hurt anything. Doesn't hurt anything, and I still enjoy it. But I kind of was surprised by how
1: quite, and it was the second time I watched it straight after when I was watching the Ducky Sucker that I went, oh, okay, this actually kind of works because it's what is there left to say once they've kind of shot him and all we can really do is fade out because it's it's the revenge is done so it actually really does i really do like the ending and I, the fact that they're at the hospital and then it somehow I picks them up and they drive to the next town to have their next supposedly their next adventure but it's yeah it, i i do first time i, watched it, I was like oh okay that is, that's it's interesting and now i'm like oh no i can see why he kind of did it. It was probably just a time-saving thing, but I think it does actually work.
2: Yeah. I, it's one of those things that like, at the time, I mean, I saw it in movie theaters and I saw it several times and then I had the video and I had no explanation, you know, it's like you, you're, you're waiting. So I got, this blu-ray of it um years ago and uh and listened to the commentary and then i was like okay he explains he really just thought you'd had enough like Mm. action like it wasn't about action at this point we'd have plenty of great action so he's like we don't need that now and i'm like i i'm not gonna lie to you i could have taken a little bit i'll take a little bit more action if you (laughs) especially action in this movie like you had another if you had another scene of it i'll take it yeah (laughs) i mean if you have it i'll gladly look at it um wouldn't hurt my feelings, but I get what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, the emotional notes at that point with the brother uh, twist and the fact that, you know, he still is trying to resolve this relationship with Salma Hayek. I'm like, okay, I mean, uh, it hits all those emotional beats and those emotional notes. Um, But it was something that took me years of going, what happened there? Mm. Why did it just fade out? Why did it just fade out? (laughs) It took so long for me to find out the answer it feels Um, like a
1: very rodriguez thing though like just to um go ah, you might have my audience doesn't think it's had enough it's kind of like a leader like it's got that same ending of like yeah you probably had enough of this i'm like no 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 i kind of want
2: more like i could have way more i could definitely could have had more of that action for sure
1: i'm fine Uh, with this like he does that a lot like he's just like yeah you're done Like what? okay but that's just a rodriguez thing i think it's like when he's done he's done
2: Yeah. I mean, he makes those decisions. He, he, you know, he's definitely making decisions on his whims. His movies are his and they're his, you know, they have his stamps all over them um, almost entirely him. And, uh, and yes, he gave us some incredible action sequences even through the opening credits, which is him singing a song, but still breaking up a fight. And it still has great, you know action to it and and great. uh it is propulsive it has it's got movement it's got stuff happening like he's constantly having things happen he's like you you can take a break i've given you plenty i've given you plenty he he does
1: he does give you these little breaks in it and it's usually when you're with selma hayek because I, i don't know if he did have a crush on her but it feels like he did have it which is obvious because it's freaking selma hayek i mean My first movie for. I don't know how
2: he could not have had a crush on her. I know he he was married at the time, but I mean, his Elizabeth, uh, his his wife is the producer, but uh, his wife at the time, but um, how could you not have a crush on her? I mean, my my lord. I mean,
1: the camera just stares at her, and it does the same thing in *Dust Till Dawn* when she comes out, and you're just like, "Oh my good lord." yeah and that was a yeah that was my first rodriguez was going to see from Dust till dawn for some somehow i guess before the internet was the rule thing not knowing that was a vampire movie Um, oh
0: oh, wow okay
1: i was going for the clooney so when i was a teenager Mm -hmm. it was all about who was more acting in it more than opposed to directing it so i was yeah big i was loved clooney so i'm like i'm totally gonna see from Dust till dawn and then wait what there's vampires (laughs) What did this
0: switch
2: but and i think and it has that gun has the the uh the gun on the crotch the crotch gun yes and i believe that was a gig that, or a, a, not a gag rather i should say that he had thought of for desperado but he couldn't find a way to put it in yeah so he put it into from dust till dawn instead
1: yeah i love it i love the, the crotch gun so much like and it would have worked in desperado because guns are just coming out of every single place in that in that movie you know but again he might
2: have said i've got enough because he had all those different like he has the the guitar case with it's a missile launcher he has a guitar case that's like a machine gun yes. he had all those different gags in there so he's like
0: "eh, i
1: don't need I'll it save
2: that one i'll use it somewhere else and he did <laughs> he, he uses it right away
1: it's perfect it, but it's yeah because i kind of had a look because being on the other side of the world from where mexico is not because you grew up in san diego so you mm-hmm. were in san diego so you kind of were around it i had to kind of go okay so what is exactly i mean i've seen the image of it i've seen an edward when um bill murray is dating a whole mariachi band and is very happy with his life now um i never actually kind of knew the concept of an al mariachi so i had to actually look it up with oh it's like a folk it's kind of a folk uh singer or a traditional kind of folk singer and that kind of made the movie kind of click together a bit more because it was like you do get these amazing dream sequences, and it is all kind of about this kind of storytelling. So you get Steve Buscemi coming in, saying, hey, "Yo, he's the biggest Mexican I've ever seen," and I'm just like, oh, "That's the '90s." And <laughs> and this kind of story of this badass who's just going to come and kill anyone. He has guns in his um in his guitar guitar case, and he's he's coming for you. And also all these other sort of elements. That amazing dream sequence at the beginning, when you first meet Antonio Banderas, and he's just like singing and. He breaks up a fight and then that guy and it's all this kind of thing. And I'm just like, oh, this movie kind of makes more sense in terms of what he's, of what this movie is and how the mariachi guy, uh, Antonio Banderas, is kind of fitting into all of this. I'm like, oh, okay, now this is making a little more sense of just having to read a little bit about Mexican culture.
2: Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, if you, yeah, you obviously are around the other side of the world. So the Mexican culture is probably, you know, not, uh, is not right at your doorstep so that makes sense Mm. Uh, i obviously have a great affinity for mexico and mexican food and you know the culture itself so um you know so that's why rodriguez was a guy that i was like oh i i i gotta check this guy out but you know that part of the movie you're talking about is really also trying to marry together el mariachi with desperado which Desperado has this weird sort of Evil Dead two to Evil Dead kind of quality to it, yes, where yeah. the El Mariachi, the first movie, uh, is in uh, Desperado, he but is, yeah, he, but he is not playing the lead character, and but he throws in enough like little bits from the original movie as the original bad guy, which is the guy he met um, when he was in the. Uh, I don't know if you know this about Robert Rodriguez, but he went into medical, like a month long uh, medical experimentation. Uh, like he got paid all this money. That's how he oh. got the money to make El Mariachi. Oh. Is that he goes into this like 30 day facility and they're mm. like going to do these medical experiments on you basically with like different pills or whatnot. And you're like yeah. a lab rat essentially. Yeah. And so he was a lab rat and he met the guy who plays the bad guy in El Mariachi. at <laughs> And he writes the script for El Mariachi and this is where he's making a bunch of money and he's going to go down to Mexico and because he grew up in Texas. So he's going to go to Mexico and shoot this movie. So, yeah. So he has a little bit of that uh, flavor in it. And that's just sort of trying to marry these two things together. The fact that this character had existed in another movie and he's trying to create and keep this legend going and it's trying to kind of blend together this two. And he, he he said even before they shot the movie, they went down to Mexico to shoot the movie. And they hadn't started shooting yet, but he wanted to start shooting. So he shot that sequence where Banderas uh, has the girl from the lead girl from the first movie, mm. and she's been shot dead. And it's those dream sequences. They shot that before they actually were supposed to start principal photography, because Rodriguez was just like, let's just get going. We're here. Let's yeah. just start shooting stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> so they shot that whole sequence, where he, which essentially is trying to put pandarus in as the mariachi from the first movie
1: okay that makes
2: but if you haven't seen el mariachi i think it's brilliant because if Hmm. you haven't seen el mariachi it doesn't matter you know the past you know he's sort of thinking about his past and that's kind of how he is to start the movie anyway tortured from his past he's trying to like get all these guys he's trying to build this this legend of himself to try to scare all these drug dealers because he's going to come for him and you know that there's some reason for it some bad thing that happened to him. But you don't need to know all the details, but all those details are El Mariachi.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's very Spaghetti Western in that way because you don't mm-hmm. need to know. I mean, I have mm-hmm. obvious reasons been watching a lot of um, Spaghetti Westerns and watching a lot of, I like I watch the um, Death Rides a Horse and that is literally, le- oh, yeah. Lee Van Cleef is not happy and is going to be killing oh, a whole shit. bunch of people as well with yeah. um, the other guy. That's all you need to know. And yeah, I haven't seen El Mariachi yet. I should have probably for this, but I, I didn't get a chance.
2: You had a lot of oh, Leone to watch. There's exactly. a whole lot of Leone to watch.
1: And they're really long. Like, they're really, really long. <laughs> they're really long. <laughs> um, really good, but they're really good. long. Really long. Um, and all you know is uh, Joachim D. alameda um is, is going to die. by Anton- Antonio Banderas is not happy with him. And it's going to be the process of him going to shoot him. So it's got that very sort of streamlined. so yeah i wasn't exactly um lost in it. i think it was just some of those cultural touchstones that happened to be in it where sure. i'm just a bit like oh okay and i loved the storytelling element when i was watching it so it was this kind of thing of just um story building upon story upon story and then um pops up in this uh danny trejo and then yeah, it danny starts, trejo, yeah. again it's kind of this added layer of something you probably didn't need in the movie but i'm kind of happy he's there because he's that action sequence when he's getting the guys in the car is so good
2: bro when he's throwing the knives yeah oh my they, god the knife, yeah he said that they cast him um danny trejo and they immediately gave him knives and they're like just go learn how to throw these things yeah so they were just <laughs> like you're just gonna be this guy to throw these knives and just go go learn how to do that really quick because you, you got to be good at it and yeah. and that scene is awesome uh, um, Erica came in when I was watching it in that scene, and she was like, Oh, is this the first movie that Danny Trejo ever did? And I was like, No. <laughs> he had been in lots of other movies, but they always were always a like, prisoner,
1: like... unfortunately. Every single yeah, time you see him, he's always behind bars yelling at someone.
2: He gets blown up in Death Wish four. Like uh, he's in Mark for Death. He's in. He's in, he's in lots. Hidden,
1: of, yeah, he's in.
2: Yeah, t- little little roles, but he was all over the place. But he certainly like you know uh, broke out uh, because of because of Rod- Robert Rodriguez, and excellent in this small role. And what I loved about Rodriguez saying about him when he was uh, first shows up on screen, and he was talking about casting him, he's like, great face. And I was like, yeah. hell yeah, dude. Danny Trejo has a It's a Leone face.
1: face. It's kind it's of a f- face that yeah. Leone would just zoom on in and stay with for like five seconds where you just it, like look
2: at every crag that he has on his face. It's it's a face that's got history behind it. You see yeah. certain people, certain actors, and you can't fake that. You know, you get as good as an actor as you can be. Some people just have a look that has a history. And yeah. you can't, you can't the camera reads it. And they barely need to do anything. Obviously, Danny, I'm not saying Danny Trejo isn't a great actor. He's a great actor. I'm just saying he has a face that just like, you're like, holy shit, who's this guy? You know, what is this guy about? You know, and And the um, whole
1: way they use him when he's finally dead and you've got um, thing on the phone going, oh, and he has knives and he has this. And they keep going back to the body to show you (laughs) those elements. Again, it's just like building. It's just that legend building that I love so much about this movie. I'm just like yes and then of course the whole thing is like do you know the number to my cuff which i have been saying
2: a lot uh it's a great line and he put a lot of those humor touches into the movie because he said people didn't get the humor in el mariachi he said Uh, it's an interesting thing that when people watched el mariachi which is not in english it's in spanish so it is subtitled but he says once he said i went to screenings of el mariachi in a, and probably in Texas and America are different film festivals. And he said, and people are reading it. You hear a lot of people, even in the audience going, oh, hmm," and they're like reading into it. He's like, this is they're thinking there because it's a subtitled foreign film now. Yes. That it has deeper meanings. He's like, so a lot of the humor of El Mariachi said people did not get because they're thinking this is this is a serious foreign film that we're watching now.
1: Yes, which is, just... especially in a festival setting because when you go to a festival and you're watching a foreign movie, there is a thing that you really, your brain just clicks into gear and You're like, okay, so what's the subtext? Like everything's got to have mm-hmm. subtext and sometimes it doesn't. He was making a movie about an Al Mariachi who wanted revenge and goes out and, and, uh, and does it. There's not always that deeper. Again, me watching it, I'm like, oh, so what is the cultural significance of, of an Al Mariachi? <laughs> Rodriguez doesn't care. Like he's just like, I've got the hottest guy on the planet we'll get into his brown watch I'm like wait did they face him up for this I think they did okay um but it's he's still the most attractive man on the planet still is um one of my favorite actors surprised I hadn't seen this actually because I as soon as I discovered him I went back and tried to get all the um Emma movies like I was just like hmm. I wanted to Spanish stuff yeah. and I've got that I've got the most beautiful woman on the planet well, let's go like I don't really need I've got a Danny Trejo with a face made of stone and it has history, I don't need anything else. So yeah, he's gonna make it funny and it's like um, with Toby Hooper who people didn't get uh, the humor in Texas Chainsaw because that movie is very dark, it's oppressive. everyone thought it was the most terrifying thing ever. So then he goes and makes uh, Chainsaw Massacre 2 which is like red humor but it's he goes like, (laughs) no, it was meant to be funny and everyone's like going, dude!
2: I... The second one is so great. Oh, I, 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 I have a lot so of, much. I have so much affection for the second one. It is such a wild ride, and I have a lot of affection for the first one. But I admit, it's not one I like to throw on all the time because it is dark. Yeah, it is dark. I remember it seeing is. that as a kid, and that scene where they pick up the hitchhiker, the you know the member of his family. I was so creeped out by that scene
1: and Toby just, Hooper's going sitting there probably laughing at it and I'm just like oh dude I love you Toby but you had the darkest sense of which he did yeah, like, he, he did. movies. yeah you can tell he had the darkest sense of humor very
2: dark sense of humor for sure yeah. but for he
1: sure. was like oh well, people meant to laugh at points and we're like no I I know that the whole grandpa trying to hit her on the head was meant to be a joke but no that's yeah, not yeah. that is terrifying
2: yeah, a very one of the like least bloody uh, movies of all time to be declared one of the scariest and yeah. most, you know terrifying films of all time. On top of it, so but you, you always, think there's always, the always...
1: blood every time I go back to it. I'm like, oh yeah, there's actually yeah. blood in this movie. It's, it's but...
2: not very bloody at all. No, and there's a lot of setup to everything too. The ending that is so. You know memorable and is so iconic you think is most of the movie because you think of it like a slasher but it's actually not like the but the movie has such a mood to it yeah it's like yeah. You know, and it's like that's why the thing is still so effective after all these years you know? exactly
1: and then you get to the um, sequel and it's like oh no uh caroline williamson's wearing another face because uh uh leather face is trying to protect her and then you have uh, Dennis Hopper with a chainsaw having it. it yeah, it goes to the point of ridiculous ridiculousness, but it still works, but it's completely different based. And it feels like Toby Hooper was just like, No, I wanted to make it this was meant to be funny. And but yeah. yeah.
2: This is a conversation for another time, but it, it's like Toby Hooper uh approached the second one, not unlike I think Joe Dante approached the second gremlins. Yeah. He yes. was like he was like, okay, you want me to do this again? Okay. Yeah. But okay. here we go. Yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna do some stuff i'm gonna have some fun so here no, we go he,
1: he's even i've heard him comment on the kale again for this is doesn't mean another time but gremlins 2 the sketch on uh, key and peel he has yeah, commented yeah. on it and he's like it didn't quite go down like that but the essence <laughs> is
2: there <laughs> i mean pretty close, <laughs> yeah, <'cause>... pretty close. <laughs> it's
1: like yeah I, there was more people looking at me going what wait what <laughs> he's like, yeah it's gonna be fun it's gonna be great <laughs>
2: and and it is one of the best sequels of all time no (laughs) doubt about it um
1: Um, yeah so we'll eventually get around to this that movie um yeah there'll be a lot to talk about of just like so how did he get away with that
2: incredible stuff incredible movie um and this too being a sequel it's a sequel but not a sequel because it's like a soft sequel it's one of those things like of the evil dead 2 which i i think i did see evil dead 1 first but i saw it like one time because my brother mark showed showed me it on video and i was very much like Ugh, like i just thought that was so gross
1: again that Randy's sensibility of like he probably thinks this is funny but everyone else has been creeped out but, right yeah
2: and then you see evil dead 2 and i was like wait a minute this is everything i love about movies it's like horrific but it's hilarious and you know i you know So, um, but it has that kind of feeling to me where it's like, you probably, not everyone saw El Mariachi, so that's fine, but you're going to see a Desperado. So there's just enough for anybody that saw it and, but you don't need to know the whole thing.
1: I mean, yeah, it's very, probably comparable to the, the, um, El Mariachi movies are probably very comparable to the Evil Dead movies in the sense of how even like, I really love, um, Army of the, no, I'm blanking today, Army of the Dead. okay. Um, Really love the third one. Though I haven't seen um, Once Upon a Time in Mexico for um, forever, but I think that you know, the other third one's a bit more successful, but it's completely going in a completely different re- direction, making it a much bigger piece, which from memory, that's what Once Upon a Time in America was doing. It's like a proper, meant to be a big um, kind of more, oh, they've given him more money to make an action movie. Now he can get Johnny Depp in there. And it actually wasn't even that big in the, nut. Mm kind of weird people you forget he was kind of like the underground actor in the 90s so it was kind of like he was big but yeah. not big it's a he it it had a weird thing in the 90s that i think people forget
2: well he was, getting he was. because of course everything because of john like uh, edward scissorhands and things yes. like that it gave him a lot of prominence but he would continue to work with burton but he was trying to also he would just continue to do these indie movies you know yeah. um Benny and June comes to mind all of a sudden but he would keep he kept trying to go back and be like no 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 I'm I'm an indie you know a- a actor mm. you know and then it, he blows up another time was with, with pirates and then it's sort of like
1: you He's can't just history. yeah
2: you can't really just go back to these little tiny well he did he did a couple little Kevin Smith movies or made some appearances in mm. there um but it's like largely it's like you can't just you can't just hide out in all these indie movies like you're a, a huge superstar so yeah
1: you can't go back and make a uh, jim jamush movie dead man walking when yeah oh. you've done that so yeah,
2: the dead dead man uh dead man. sorry yes uh it, but, both, but both great films mm.
1: yes <laughs> <laughs> very different movies now that i'm remembering what's going on
2: um, but yeah dead man another one of my favorite westerns i absolutely love that movie
1: yeah it's but there's this kind of kind of trajectory that a lot of again, Raimi was more of the 80s, but he had that independent kind of thing and now he's kind of gone too big where he can't necessarily go back, if that makes sense.
2: He kind of does in um it, when well he made uh he made his well, yeah, it's hard for him. He hadn't done a movie in like ten years until he did Doctor Strange.
1: Yeah. And I'm just sort of wondering if he could now. I mean, in the nineties he was going back and doing smaller things, but now I don't know. If he could, it's like Peter Jackson. Could Peter Jackson, after making the biggest movies of all time, go back and do a um, brain dead or a dead alive? It's kind of this weird mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. that I don't. I mean, I, Rodriguez is kept in that pocket. Like he can do a leader, like with, with uh, J- James Cameron, but he can also go back and make a hypnotized. He can go back and do another spy kid movie. He's got more of a, because he works in his own backyard, he's got that mm-hmm. thing where he can go hide in the smaller movies and then go back and make a bigger movie if he feels like it but some of the other guys I don't know if they can go back it's I mean I'd love Rainey and Jackson to make another Gore splatter or just tinier movie but I don't know if they will I was thinking
2: yeah I thought when he did drag me to hell I thought that this meant oh yeah yeah occasionally do like a smaller horror film in between Mm. doing like spider-man movies or whatever whatever else he was doing But he hasn't really done that. And I think a lot of what he does is, you know, he is a producer and he produces a lot of stuff and produce a lot of TV. And he probably enjoys that kind of stuff, which is certainly less uh, stress on you. Uh, And he's probably made his money at this point too. So it's like, do you want to, you know, run around and do that? Like, I mean, could at this point in time, couldn't John Carpenter make another movie? But does he want to when he can just tour around the country ever so often, like playing his scores with his son and mm-hmm. and uh, and godson? Like, I mean, what's more fun at a guy yeah. his age? I don't know. You know, touring like, around so
1: then he can go yeah. play, he can go watch basketball and play video games and stuff yeah. like, like that. Right. That seems like a good life.
2: I mean, I can't fault you for that, but it would be awesome if you could go make it, because I bet he could make a movie at this point and have the kind of con- control that he almost never had in his career.
1: Yeah, I think he could go to Blumhouse and go, these are my stipulations, this is how I want to make it, and they would go, yeah, this is the, you won't get more than this money, but Carpet has been in that situation before, and if he's got complete right. control, then they'll be They'd fine. probably give
2: him a larger amount of money than they would give other projects, but yeah. they're, they're not going to go and give him, you know, 80, 80, 80 90 million million or whatever. Mm -hmm. But like Sam Raimi, he did make, you know, Doctor Strange 2. It's like, okay, now I'm like waiting. I'm like, what, does this mean you were like, hey, I made another movie. It was very successful. I'm going to run off and go make another Drag Me to Hell. I I mean, that would be cool. Or even if he did, you know, a simple plan or something like another small movie. Like, I I would be so into that. But, I, I don't know. Well, we'll have to wait and see. But,
1: it's, yeah, I mean you're right. And Sam Raimi has other stuff going on where he just produces. I mean, he even produced Hard Target. I mean, he was one of the guys that kind of insulated um Wu on that movie so he can make mm-hmm. he was a, a yeah. John Wu movie. Um yeah, same yeah, with sure. uh, yeah, same with Van Damme, whose ego I think protected him more than I think he was probably being frustrated, but I think it protected him more than he realized. Um but yeah, he was the guy who goes, Okay, I'm just gonna let John Wu make this movie the way I know he can make a movie. I'm just going to keep everyone off his back and so maybe it's just less and you're right he's got he's got a lot of money he doesn't need to and that's kind of what I like about Rodriguez even back in his early days when he wasn't as kind of thing he would just I'm just going to make the movie this way I don't necessarily need the pressure of the studios on me so I'm not going to ask for a whole bunch I mean to go from 7,000 which I know wasn't quite what the end product was for Mariachi but then to go for seven million dollars that is still not even in Ninety four, ninety five. that's not like a big studios aren't sweating over that budget in that time so he was down in mexico doing his own thing no one's paying attention to him and he can go yeah i'm just gonna fly banderas off a off a roof but let's do that that sounds fun
2: <laughs> i mean he's been able to do and control things and and be creative because i think that being creative is something that he has said has been so important to him like even like making food around the house like he's just always wanting to be creative you know writing music just he's always like trying to do something and so his projects are uh, a lot of that pursuit yeah and he's able to do things like you know I still think you know uh his planet terror I love that in grindhouse and I love the fact that they made that It, I know it kind of blew up in their faces a little bit wasn't quite the success that they thought it would be uh I don't think they thought I think it would. It's got probably a lot more love now as people have a lot more understanding of the Grindhouse era. Yes, where
1: because of these guys, they went back to watch those movies, but it just took a little bit for them to go back and watch them. Now they can. Now I can go watch Grindhouse and go. Oh, I know exactly what you guys are doing.
2: Yes, but I don't think everybody was as caught up with that uh, as much as they thought everybody was. I mean, certainly everybody of their age uh, and who went to a lot of those drive-ins and saw some of that stuff. Sure. But I still think that wasn't, I don't think they thought it was as big. Everybody was, uh, it was going to be as big a response. Um, I think they thought it was going to be as big as response, but it wasn't, it probably would get that now. But the fact that then he makes machete off of like just a trailer he makes for that, like, you know, he's able to kind of like push these things into being, uh, which is pretty incredible. And, uh, you can argue about some of the results, but it's amazing that he's been able to kind of like, as you said, work within his own little uh, troublemaker studios in Texas and kind of make his own thing. He has his own network, uh, the El Ray network as well. Oh. So he's been able to just kind of push his own creativity in all di- different spots. And I think it all just depends on how you want to utilize that. Um, Carpenter wants to just make, you know, soundtracks to movies that don't exist. And Sam Raimi loves to produce movies and TV shows. And OK, great um but uh i'm glad that rodriguez is still making movies because i'm excited to see at least i'm excited to see hypnotic um i'm not sure i've never been the biggest fan of spy kids it's just a little too old for it and i didn't have kids at the time so it was a little like kind of missed me a bit i watched them all Mm -hmm. watched all of them but i was like these didn't hit as hard for me and i don't know why he did so many in a row was like get through this phase hurry up Yes. (laughs) Yes, <laughs> but I can I can totally get um. You know, kid people are uh, seeing that at the right age. That that would have been a blast. My own kids love uh, the Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Yeah, because they saw it at just a perfect time for them, and that's awesome. Um, I was like, get back to Desperado. <laughs> yes,
1: and he never quite has. I mean, there's been hints of it. I remember going to watch Sin City this is when I, and I remember it was the kind of when I was first starting to go okay I'm gonna see a movie because of the director like and this is Robert Rodriguez and this is Frank Miller and this has got some other stuff going on and it's still well it's very Frank Miller but it's kind of still this ego you're right he likes to do all these things creative so he never really likes to go backwards even though I would love to do like see a desperado I'm like is he going to do that again? Cause he goes through like phases like I do like, Oh, I'm in this, I'm into this. No, wait, I'm into this. Like he's very, whatever takes his fancy, which is actually kind of cool because he's always just going to create stuff, whether it works or doesn't kind of not the point.
2: I mean, he used a lot of the Spy Kids movies to learn special effects. So like for what we were talking about earlier about how much the great practical effects he uses, he uses the Spy Kids movies to really learn how to teach himself how to do all special effects too. Mm. So he can do all that for his movies. So, I mean, he's always just trying to like learn all these new tricks so he can do everything that he needs to do for his movies. And I think that's great. But then he do something like Sin City, which I think is fantastic. I love that movie, but it also, he could do a lot of those things, like not outside. He could do it all in the studio. And then he felt like he can. So now he knows how to do all these different effects and he could do them all in the studio. And sometimes I feel like he forgets. Yeah, but you can also go outside and shoot things practically and do things like for real, but he can do so much stuff within his own studio that it's like you get comfortable in that space.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what the leader of Battle Angel kind of felt like. It was, oh, this is entirely CGI, I think,
2: mostly.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, But there's a coolness kind of energy to it because it's him and he's got outside forces kind of coming in. And of course, he's got James Cameron, you know, the... Reportedly the most laid back man who will be, yeah, well, no, he's not. He's like, you will do it this, this, and this, because this is how I want it to look. Um, so he's kind of working with other people. And I think that's when he gets kind of the best results for you. Yeah, you're right. I think he got very insulated and I don't blame him because I think sometimes working in a system where you've got constantly other people just telling you what to do and trying to give you notes can be exhausting. And when he's in his own studio, he doesn't have to deal with any of that. He edits, He does it, he just does everything. Mm-hmm. So There's he does it his own special effect. So no one can tell him actually that might not work. Um, it's like, well, I don't care if it's not going to work because I can just make another one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, that's why I'm saying like, sometimes I think having a few more collaborators wouldn't hurt, you know, um, just to kind of keep pushing you out of sometimes a comfort zone. Cause I think getting pushed out of a comfort zone is a good thing you, the amount of people that, um, Filmmakers that will say like the fact that they had almost no money, it pushed them to have to like figure out different ways to get beyond the fact that they had a poor budget. I'm not saying that every movie has to be made with almost no money, but, you know, it sometimes having those restrictions. And so when you can kind of do everything internally and in-house, it can kind of make you not have to push yourself, you know, you have to be you have to be the arbiter of that sort of, you know, pushing. Oh, yeah. I mean,
1: you have a podcast about the New World, uh, about the New World Studios, and you also have like things like Canon and Empire Studios, which is all about making, uh, and Roger Corman, all making kind of movies with very little money um, so people can make money mm-hmm. off them, which is kind of the standard practice of, well, at the moment, I think it's all about how much debt and loss you can do. But it's um, because I understand economics. I understand economics, not at all. Um, <laughs> it, um well, it's
2: certainly that's certainly what streamers are doing right now is they're, yeah. just, they're just taking a lot of debt and pushing it to the future and yes. figuring trying to figure it out later.
1: Yeah, trying to figure it out later. And then they wonder why everyone's gone on strike. Um it's <laughs> it, it's um it, but yeah, but there's a there's a scrappiness to those movies. I mean, every single time you talk about the New World, even something that worked really well, like um uh battle beyond the stars it, mm-hmm. it still has that scrappiness to it and so does um desperado there's still a scrappiness to it which i really like and yes this has steve Bashimi, but this is still 1995 steve poshimi this is not um boulevard um thing steve Bashimi. he's not he's still yeah, kind right. of scra- he's he's an indie actor and he's got credit as an indie mm-hmm. actor but he's still an indie actor and Tony banderas um I think, was known in America at that point for dating Madonna. Like, he he was a Spanish actor who was coming over to the States to see if he could make some sort of attraction. Um, I told still of watching that Madonna documentary, seeing Antonio Banderas and going, even as a kid, who was that? That is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen.
2: Um, <laughs> he's yeah. incredibly attractive in this just, movie. There's no it, doubt about he, it. Oh,
1: even a dollar destiny when he's older, I'm just like, just hello,
2: hello. <laughs> I know. He got done so dirty in that movie. He, he was did. great. He was yeah. so good.
1: I was like, Yay, I'm getting Antonio energy. And now he's gone. It's, and
2: then it's over. And, and it's, it's over. That's, that's that. That's yeah, that's, that's bummer.
1: it. Um yeah, so he's still not I mean, he's this is his it. breakout he, yeah, he's he still hasn't quite got it yet, but this is his breakout role in the states, and then after this he's off to the races. This is some hikes first. No, I don't think it's her first movie, but it's her first big one. It's definitely the one that everyone went, Holy shit, who's that? Um, Correct. Yeah.
2: yeah. Again, she had just worked with um Rodriguez on on Road Racers. But yeah, this is he found he saw her on Mexican television. Yeah. And so I do I believe that she this is like her entry into movies. And boy, did she come in and you're like, okay, here's a new movie star. Yeah, there she's is.
1: just a movie star and she is so fantastic. That moment when because I love how the fact that how much Elmer actually gets shot and every single time it's Elmer Hayek who has to come in and mend him back to, to health again. It's like a, almost like a running joke. It's like, Oh, you got shot again. It's, um, it's this great thing. But when she's on the, she's on the bed playing the guitar singing and it's again, this dr- amazing dreamlike moment of the, the assassins coming around with the silhouettes and him singing and then picking up the two guns. But that moment when she's singing, he stays on her and it's like, yeah, she's a, She's a straight-up movie star. That's what yeah. she is. There's no other way to sort of describe Salma Hayek other than hello movie star and and Antonio yeah. Banderas' is hello movie star.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he. I mean, yeah, and he, 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 he does right by both of them. I was going to say, too, Antonio Banderas does something that I think a lot of my favorite action stars or, you know, my favorite action movies. When you see someone be hurt, <laughs> like Antonio Banderas is great at... I think there's certain action stars we look at where they're like shot and they're just like, whatever, you know, let's move, <laughs> let's keep moving, you know.
1: Yeah, my partner watched Rampage and that's exactly yeah. that movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: And, and you know, there's certain people that can pull that off and that's fine. But mm. I like an action movie where like the guy's like, holy crap, I am shot and I'm really struggling and this is really tough, but I am going to have to find some way to pull this off. And uh, he does a lot of that in this movie. I love that shot of him going by the wall Yeah, and he's with the little kid and he's clearly bleeding and he's trying to keep it together and he's just leaving a blood trail on the wall. Uh, Just fantastic shot. And uh, he, he's so good in this movie of just having those moments where he's just continues to get messed up. You know, the fact that he's been shot in his hand, which you see in that first flashback of... What I think, um, it wasn't a squib. It was what Rodriguez called an avocado gun. And basically it's something that splats. So it's something that shoots out and splats them in the hand. And they use that instead of having an actual squib blow up. Mm. Because if you have a squib in the hand, you're going to have to bury it under makeup and then have it explode. So instead they're shooting it out. So if you see it, like it happens very quickly, but you see it, the whole, his whole hand goes red, which is probably accurate if you're shooting the hand, but they just splat the whole hand. Um, and just shoot, like, blood at it uh, yeah. when you get shot. But the fact that he has that, and then he can't quite play the way he wants to when he's trying to show the little boy how to play the guitar. Yeah. He can't quite get it, and he just kind of, like, hands it to him, and it's just like, I I can't quite do what I used to do. Yeah, I don't I'm have that. It. I love that. I love that sort of... Uh, you know, just, just having someone be human, you know, there's like a human, <laughs> he's a human quality. Obviously there's a lot of this movie that's inhuman and you wouldn't survive and you wouldn't survive jumping off the roof and landing on your back and just roll up and go, okay, let's keep moving. Okay. And there's some ridiculous here for sure. But like, I think you earn it by having those moments where he is in pain and he isn't the same because these injuries have left a mark, you know? Yeah.
1: He does have um, to rest every single time he's shot. I love, I mean, Yes, when I first saw it and I had get the Steve Buscemi, it feels, I'm like, oh, wait, this feels more Tarantino than I was expecting. So what's, I mean, Tarantino does show up the movie and now I do want a alert on my phone that just has him saying mucho gracias because it's the most dumbest <laughs> thing I've ever heard in the movie and I love it so much. Um, it's the way he would say it by the sounds of it. Like, it's just not, mucho gracias. Mucho gracias. It's like, uh, yes, I, I love you, Quentin, when you do that stuff. It's, it's so, Yeah. <laughs>
2: He, did. he definitely has a lot of fun too with um american tourists in mexico and stuff he has a good he has a you know uh <laughs> i love the line where they say your beer tastes like piss and the guy says the bar just goes because we piss in it <laughs> it always makes me laugh never fails it's oh
1: my god it's a such joke. a good joke and deep in this, shoot, this the whole joke of i'm the not taking it any like
2: shit from them yeah they yeah. don't take any shit from anybody it's uh, it, they he definitely you know made fun of a lot of the gringos uh, coming
1: oh my god when they're coming show. in and the whole bunch of everyone's dead and what's his name Because can't you see it? we're closed <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's but no the whole thing was like this is the best beer i've ever tasted and you know it tastes like shit um no i
2: absolutely... some of the best acting from tarantino really i mean yeah, it I, really is yeah you know from Dust till dawn uh you know uh i love tarantino and i you know uh I, 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 but as an actor not my favorite no, um,
1: I, I think he works in from dusk or dawn because he is so awkward. And it, it he does as, he
2: does as best a job as he can. He just
1: when he's right next to Clooney, who's very good, and everyone else has been very good. You can kind of tell he's the
2: he's just out director. of his depth there. He, yeah,
1: he's he way out of his depth.
2: It's just not like yeah, okay, he was fine, but just imagine that role with someone else who yeah. really could that off who yeah. really could do that like that movie would be a lot better you know um at the time having quentin tarantino though still even in the movie was still such a huge boost so i get it from a marketing perspective but just imagine um uh every time you know now every time i watch Pulp fiction which is a movie i love and a movie that i freaked out when i first saw it but that last act with quentin tarantino it's like ah just imagine someone else in that part i i realize you're there all day because you're on the set but just imagine if it was someone else that i'm it, i mean he
1: does shop in django and it's the worst australian accent ever to be put on film and there's been some bad ones um but that he
2: had to do And he, i know he had to do that because somebody
1: dropped out the last minute dropped out but he does I, do I, it like yeah i was gonna say he, he you've noticed he does do it less like alien is crazy he really wanted to be in front of the camera you could tell something you really wanted to do and then i think as he got older he realized i'm never gonna be up to what i need to be so i'm just gonna and i get still to be on the movie set every day i get to this is my movie um my I, name, I, I, it's my name that sells the movie more than anything else so
2: he's, yeah and i can't uh, i can't like i can't Blame the guy for he had been studying acting for years. That's
1: what he wanted to do originally. And then it's like, here's
2: me in a scene with John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson and Harvey Keitel. Look, if it's me in that case, I would have a hard time not putting myself in the role, too. I get it. I understand the impulse. I'm just saying, just imagine someone else in that part. Imagine somebody else going off of Clooney as this sadistic brother just having a you know i don't know could be a lot better however in this he's very good he's very good and his comic timing in this is really good
1: it's so funny his reaction to when the guy gets shot he he, and the blood splats on him yep and he doesn't he turns around
2: and he's and he's mid he's mid uh swallow yeah he's got all this beer in his mouth and then he swallows it and then and he, he said, "You check out." And he's like, "Yeah, no, I know that because uh, me and Bucco go way back." And he says, "Bucco," and he's like, "Him too." That's <laughs> yes. all extremely good timing. Very funny stuff. Yeah. Um. And so excellent use of Quentin, Quentin Tarantino. Oh, when
1: he's in the back, and then El Mariachi's coming in and doing his like, which is my favorite action scene in the movie when the guitar opens up. It's just yep. the guitar, and oh. like, and then that just slowly opens, and then you see all the guns
2: oh and that that fight that shootout is fantastic it's, it's and you've already case. had the beginning scene with uh, bashimi talking about it the opening sequence and then you get that one it's like oh man like uh, it's, it's stuff like it's that just, that makes me think that ending shootout i don't know do you it, you want to just throw it on a disc somewhere or something yeah. so i can look at it i don't know i yeah, feel that, like you probably shot the hell out of that too
1: yeah that would have <laughs> been really cool because that's what i was expecting because each action scene seems to top itself and then you get to the end and it's yeah. just like Eh. I was just like, wait, you just walk. you did not just walk out of there. You honestly were just walking down the street where something massive was exploding. And it's kind of one of the go-to action scenes that always get shown. Like when they're talking about action scenes, yeah. Salma Hayek and um, Banderas kind of walking down the street with, with a fireball behind them. Um, mm-hmm. And then that ending, but I'm just like, no, I think it kind of works because that's someone telling the story and then it ended. That's kind of, it feels... The whole movie structured very, um, like a oral kind of story. Like someone's actually telling you the beat by beat of Then the, yeah, But yeah, sure. Tarantino's line, he goes, wait, is that happening now? Is still one of the funniest lines to me. I don't know why. It's just him watching the monitor going, wait, is that actually happening?
2: Yeah. Uh, and I think that that ending, if he does do it that way, there might've been some element of that shootout. And I would give Rodriguez all the credit that he would be able to pull it off, but there might be something to it that would sort of, hurt his credibility as we're saying there's so much of the movie where banderas is hurt and human but him being the only guy taking out this entire you know drug cartel maybe it stretches a little bit of that credibility and maybe there's another reason there why he took that part out i'm still willing to watch it (laughs) but but i can understand if he thought you know what We've had a lot of great action with him. Let's not do something that, yeah, tips, and it's uh, what we've built up for an audience, testing and, the
1: audience and, a little bit too much, but at the same time, we're in the middle of an action 90s action thing where people get stronger the more they get shot. I mean, go back to Broken Arrow Christian Slater seems to be stronger by the end of the movie than at the beginning of it. That is mm-hmm. every Nick Cage action movie, like The Rock, um, Con Air that they, they get shot, and every Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, the, the thing they get stronger and more powerful by the end of the movie so when they're taking out the bad guy it's in the in the 90s the bad guy would get killed five times like this weird Mm -hmm. kind of bombastic thing and this one's just a lot quieter but you do get those moments of just pure ecstasy when it comes to action like the yeah the danny trejo part and the throwing knives and the and that scene in the bar and just the scene with the roof just all these and selma hayek wearing two different kinds of shoes because she's just being pulled out of every situation and with no with one shoe and it's loving her walking at the end of the movie you can kind of tell she's lopsided (laughs) because
2: she's (laughs) got two different heels on
1: two different heels on and it's this great little it's just that great little detail of this poor woman who's just being in the middle of this thing kind of makes a decision and now she's in it and now can't get out of it like even when he decides not to shoot him, she go. but he's going to kill me eventually. Like if you don't kill him, he's going to kill me because he now knows I helped you. So it's, yeah. I, oh, she's so good in this. Um, it's
2: uh, yeah. Oh God. Uh, yeah. It, speaking about another actor who also still looks incredibly good still today. I yeah. mean, she's, I, I don't, I don't think she's aging and it's, it's frustrating for me personally, but it's
1: very frustrating because she does not age. She, I am.
2: I am aging. Me too. And rapidly, and I'm like, what is she doing? I don't understand because it's so upsetting.
1: She's was insanely beautiful back in the nineties, but she's actually more beautiful now as she gets older. And I love that because so many women in Hollywood seem to get treated differently. But you look at Selma Hayek and you're like, Oh no, she is still insanely that she's more beautiful than she was in um Desperado and I'm and everyone I, recognizes that because you can't help it because you're looking at her going,
2: You, you can't look at her and, and say, No, let me argue this point. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I know a lot of people do that yeah. with manga,
1: Robbie, at the moment. I'm just like, oh, Dude, seriously. No, no. no.
2: Also, also very, very pretty lady. Yeah. Very
1: pretty lady. Like, very yeah. smart. You can tell. Also, was...
2: seemingly not to age right now. Exactly.
1: But like
2: because you gotta think like how long has she been in movies right now like she's been in for a while now yeah but every time you see her it's like the first time you've seen her and, it's, and she had a it's... whole
1: career in australia beforehand like before for she sure. got into um before wall street so it's kind of like right she's been around she for a while
2: and that tv series too she was in a series tv series of pan am i think uh yeah a little bit so that she's she's had a career before everything and she yeah. still looks like you know it's it's upsetting. It's upsetting. I don't. <laughs> it's, very
1: upset. it's very upsetting. It's very upsetting. It's
2: upsetting for me personally. A guy who's had gray hair since he was in his twenties, but you know, it's <laughs> a little upsetting. But you know what? Um, it's what really uh makes me uh, what what did he, what 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 makes me have such a, a soft spot for James Coburn, another gentleman who has had gray who had gray hair for a large part of his career. I did not so, realize that
1: because I just always no. thought he was a distinguished older gentleman. You find out, oh no, he had gray hair like right from the beginning. Oh.
2: Yes, yeah. um, yeah. yes yeah so i'm always like ah james coburn i know <laughs> i know the struggle my man <laughs>
1: <laughs> Um, speaking speaking which is there anything else you want to say about desperado before we go on to um the, what uh i was gonna call it once upon a time in the revolution but it's got too many names
2: <laughs> <laughs> too many names duck you sucker uh no you, sucker. Uh, other than if you have not seen desperado for some weird reason please go watch it and yes. uh
1: don't get confused and, uh, with Once Upon a Time in Mexico.
2: a Very different movie. Very. Okay, though I, I want to, I want to rewatch that one. I it, I have yeah. also not seen that in a long, long time. Mm-hmm. So, um, but uh, my memory is that it's not quite as good as Desperado. So I, it's like it's sometimes I don't want to go back because I don't want to see him not quite live up to Desperado. But, but, um, but that's okay. It might be different, even better in, in different ways than I recall. So, um, but. If you haven't seen Desperado, go see it. That's all Desperado,
1: I like. Desperado, yeah. Desperado is really scrappy. It's really ingenious. It's just really good. And it's kind of the, one of the most perfect examples of that 90s indie flourish, even though this was made in a studio. But it's, look, the, the indies, indie's 90s was constantly made by studios anyway. So it's not like it's pure indie, well, but it's just fantastic. And yeah, just to watch two beautiful people on screen be charismatic and amazing in action and yeah. And with that, we're going to go into a movie where it's not two beautiful people. Well, actually, James Ho's Coburn is rather distinguished. Uh, Rod Steiger, on the other hand, is um, <laughs> is doing a thing. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. Turns it back opening. Ryan, what is going to be your first trailer for Ducky Sucker?
2: Okay, my first trailer for Ducky Sucker is going to be um, a 1970 movie, sort of a kind of a... a it's not a, uh, it's not a spaghetti Western, but it's almost like an American version of a spaghetti Western. Um, and it's a movie called Canon for Cord- for Cordoba.
0: Oh.
3: I want someone to get inside that fortress. You mean me, sir? They'll be traveling out of uniform, without authorization, without orders. You caught. He'll be shot. But I want those guns destroyed. And I want Cordova. I want him alive. Don't you think
1: it's (laughs) time to rinse me off, lady? I think it is. There
0: you go. You're talking to an officer of Mexican army. There's no rank. All equals except for
3: me
2: being a little more equal it's a Actually, george Papard movie i think i all, heard
1: of this yeah
2: and it's also set in the mexican revolution
1: that's why I mean that it popped up list. That was, so
2: was yeah george Papard is leading a group of guys that's trying to get rid of all these cannons that cordoba who is the, the the mexican leader of the revolution or whatever they're trying to get rid of all his cannons so he they can win this battle the movie is fine but one of the things about it that I I mean I have this disc here from Kina Lorber and uh I don't I think it's out of print now, but um I picked it up a long time ago and there's just something about this movie that I just think looks great and part of it is the cinematography from Antonio Mascoli. He shot also um Grand Slam. Oh. Uh uh, uh by uh, uh Montanato, Giuliano and Montanato, oh. which is uh it's a a movie with Klaus Kinski and Janet Lee, and but he he was kind of more of like a workman cinematographer in Italy. Um, he also does Guns in the Magnificent Seven and sixty nine um, before he does this movie. He, this is kind of one of the last ones that he does for whatever reason. It's hard to get a lot of information on him, but my god, does he? There's I was watching this movie, and I think it's fine. It's a fun little George Bappard movie. It's you know nothing too too crazy, but. I just thought there's so many shots that I would pause the movie on that were just amazing and just beautiful and the depth of field and the way he lit things, it just looked fantastic. And it has some of just like excellent Italian photography and uh, you know, it's kind of an, a, a, kind of this weird, um, it's not a major studio, but it's just kind of interesting. It's kind of like, like an American production. But they're making clearly a spaghetti western. It's like, what is happening here? And it's at sort of the what people might start to say the end of the spaghetti western era. Uh, obviously, more were made after 1970, but it's sort of we're sort of peaking at that point. Um, but just happening really in America because America doesn't pick up the Leone movies till the end of the 60s where they're made more in the mid 60s. Yeah. Italy, but they it took a couple years for them to ever make it over to America. Um, by which point, there was just hundreds of other Italian imitators had already already made, we'd already made Django. We'd all, yep. all these things had already been made. So, uh, but yeah, Canon for Cordoba is a is a fun little movie. It's worth worth watching.
1: I'm going to definitely try and seek it out if I can. Because um, it sounds fascinating because getting into Ducky Sucker, I was learning all about the, actually no, when I did the Professionals as well, because this is kind of considered an American version of the Zapata movie, which is kind of like a Zapata, yeah. Mm-hmm. Zapata. Which is kind mm-hmm. of an offshoot of the um, spaghetti western but that was always more of a political western so you and specifically mm-hmm. around the mexican revolution um starting mm-hmm. in 1910 um mm-hmm. such a specific genre but so but there was actually quite a few movies that came out of it the professionals from 66 being one of them though i don't know if it was it's not stylistically linked because this was before the italians picked it up but the whole going down into the mexican revolution and getting caught in the ruckus of of what was happening yeah, so I I do need
2: to check check that out. Um, yeah, it's worth, it's worth it's worth a watch if you can yeah. if you can track it down. I'm not sure where it's streaming now, but uh it's definitely worth checking out just for the cinematography alone. Mm-hmm. Really worthwhile. I, I've held on to it um because it's just the cinematography is just fantastic. Um, oh. another which is a huge element of Ducky sucker uh, the cinematography is fantastic in all of Leone's movies, but um so that's that's what made me think of it plus it's set in the Mexican Revolution. So
1: Yes. It's, yeah, that is a great first trailer. Yeah, and I'm going to try and seek that out. For my first movie, even though I think this is probably the least of his John Ford-influenced movies, um, mainly because Leone didn't, Leone didn't actually, was actually going to produce this, not direct this. And then Coburn and um, Steiger insisted he did direct it because this is when the America, Hollywood in America was kind of discovering who and what Leone really is, especially after um, Once Upon a Time in, in the West. So we had to direct it, but I'm going to go for John Ford movie, um, one of his Irish ones, but I'm going to go for The Informer from 1935.
3: I've come to claim the 20 pounds
0: reward for Franklin Philip and Franklin McPhilip.
1: Oh He's not here. no harm in him, he didn't know what he was doing. Mr. Phillips, for the sake of your own love, why not you be asking him to give my manager? Katie, Katie, this is no time for sentiment. This is war.
2: familiar with this one i haven't seen this one
1: yeah this it's really good it's one of his really early ones but even before he did um stagecoach it is about this guy who's kind of loosely um affiliated with the uh R-I- R-I-A, blah, in ireland uh mm-hmm. but he snitches on an old friend of his who has a reward out so it's kind of that very beginning western but it's set in in dublin and it is just about him and he gets the reward the guy is um shot and it's all about him spending the money away almost in one night coping with the guilt of what he did and trying to keep from everyone else from finding out that he was actually the fact the snitch because you know snitches get stitches <laughs> it's um yeah stars uh victor McLagan, preston foster it's kind of these actors that aren't necessarily well known i think it was one of his quieter, quieter ones i think did get a bit of oscar buzz in the 30s It's just a really great night it's almost like a one crazy night of this guy who suddenly has money when he didn't is pissing it away on bars gambling everything he shouldn't have or trying to explain to everyone why he suddenly has this money trying to hide the fact that he was the one that snitched someone out who got who was killed by uh, british police forces so it Hmm. is a really really cool little movie it's really short it's really um quick to the point um it's one of Ford's really early ones so he hasn't really quite got his expansive kind of thing yet in fact I'm not entirely sure if he was making westerns by this point he might have but yeah it's a really cool little movie to check out and it's really surprised me because it is again not quite pre-code but still got enough of that pre-code vibe in there by 1935 where he's getting away with a whole lot before the senses really come down but it's Mm. still pre-code but yeah I would definitely yeah it's a really cool little movie
2: No, I got to check this out. I, you know, it's odd. I don't, I haven't seen tons of John Ford stuff. I've seen just kind of some of his, you know, bigger hits obviously, and the more notable ones, but he's still a guy that I, there's a lot of his stuff. I just have not seen. And uh, I, I need to get into that. I'm too busy watching, um, stuff from new world video yes. <laughs> you know I went uh, a,
1: yeah um my dad uh, was a huge Ford fan he tried to get me into it i didn't like it same with good the bad and the ugly when i was a kid i just couldn't click with it westerns um watched a few of his bigger things and they went okay and then yeah i'm starting to click with Ford more um but it took a while like it really took a while for me to go okay i think i see maybe it's because he influenced everybody and i didn't feel (laughs) sure sure maybe um but no it's it's an interesting one in his filmography considering it's so early
2: yeah no he i i gotta dig into more of his uh movies i just it's Uh, Hard to find time when you're so busy um, delving into women in prison movies that Roger Corman made in the 1970s, or, you know. um, Yes. (laughs) Some of the stuff that we cover on the podcast, which is, (laughs) you know, that's that's John Ford. Yeah, not not John. They did not put out John Ford movies, that's for sure. Um, Great filmmakers, nonetheless, but not John Ford, that's for sure.
1: Yeah. Uh, What is going to be your second trailer for Ducky Sucker?
2: My second trailer, I'm going to stick with uh, the western genre, and I'm going to go with a um, with 1976's "The Last Hard Men."
0: Charlton Heston as the retired sheriff who thought he'd locked up his past behind him. There's a man coming for. I can't just sit there on the couch and then wait for it. James Coburn is the escaped prisoner On your feet, Provo. who unleashed the past in a shower of violence. An innocent girl is the bait. In the deadliest game of all. No, give me any more goddamn oh, God. in the eyes of the tool, You
3: see him talk again. He won't be pretty normal.
2: Directed by Andrew McLeglan. I hope I'm saying that right. He's an English director. This is Scott, James Coburn. And he plays a guy who's uh, you know, it's like kind of a revenge movie. He's been he's been put in jail. He's escaped from a prison and he's put in jail by Charlton Heston, who is now a retired lawman and Coburn, uh, kidnaps his daughter and tries to get the old lawman to come and get him so he can get his revenge. But what's interesting about this movie is that there's an element to it, to me that it's like, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not like it's too late for both these guys. Uh, they're still in, in their careers, but they're, it's, it feels like, the we know the western is kind of done. It's the mm. late it's it's we're into the mid to late seventies, and it's kind of like the the, the last hard men. Uh, kind of to me is as a title always sort of has this. I don't know. It always has this uh, effect on me where where I'm thinking of the movie when I'm watching the movie because it's sort of like it's the westerns kind of over and it's about these guys who are like these days are sort of over but we're gonna drag it out and have one last big fight. You know, um, and and it has that sort of feel of like we know this period's over, but we're going to have one last go. And uh, that's kind of this movie. And I, I think this is, this is a really good um, Western Barbara Hershey's in it. Yeah. Um, Michael
1: Parks. I see My,
2: Michael Parks. Yes. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, it has a great ending to it. It's got, it's a good little Western. Um, I'm not sure what the director had done. I haven't really gone. Oh, through
1: uh, Andrew and B. McLaughlin. He had done. Yeah. So I oh, know the wild geese um and he was in the sea wolves he's kind of i call the ultimate 70s dad director um which is the lot the, the last hard men seems to be like a thing that, for him it's kind of like um these old men going out and stretching this mm-hmm. kind of thing like that's what wild geese is that is what sea wolves is definitely about um these old men who going into world war ii to fight that one last um battle and, yeah, um, he didn't
2: he didn't yeah. do codename wild geese which was released by new world pictures <laughs> that is not him but he did do the wild geese yes. and he also did the dirty dozen the next mission yes um, so yes he's definitely a dad director and this is definitely a dad western this is yeah. just you know uh charlton heston going all right still being charlton heston deciding to grab the gun off the wall and let's go out and get this guy even though I've been retired and it's just you know it's it's a it's a dad movie it's a it's it's got a lot of dad energy to it and it's a really it's a good one it's a I think it's a really good little movie and um good little uh, James Coburn uh performance as well
1: yeah uh, James Coburn is always one of those guys I never think of and then when I see him in the movie I'm like oh yeah you were really good like why don't oh, I think of yeah really
2: good yeah really
1: good um, Maybe
2: not so good in an Irish accent, but... No, uh, well, but... the accents and <laughs> It's amazing how often he was allowed to do British accents in various yes. films, but never particularly showing a lot of aptitude for it. No, uh, never. But people were like, it doesn't matter. Because you yeah. looked at him and you're like, you're British. You look I British. mean, he has look- a, a British look to him, so we're, we're, we're good. But I'm like, yeah. his Irish accent, ah, uh. you know, it's... It's uh, it, it you know it, but you have Rod Steiger, so it's like I don't know between the two of them, what are we gonna worry about? <laughs> exactly.
1: I mean, yeah. When I well, we'll get into it. when I first saw this movie, all I could hear was the Rod Steiger accent. I was like, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, but that that sounds like a really great trailer. that director's is really good. I think he's got a really kind of cool sensibility about him. Like it's very. Um, he also did Fulk from 1980, which was because uh, he worked with Roger Moore a lot, being hmm. James Bond and not a James Bond movie. So that which was his vibe. I think is probably the best way of saying it. So, no, that, that is kind of a really great trailer going in. Uh, for my second trailer, I am actually going to go with, okay, let's go with Penn's Labyrinth from
2: 2006, World del Toro. Um Interesting.
0: In a dark time, when hope was bleak, there lived a young girl whose only escape was in a legend that wanted her back. The legend speaks of the lost soul of a princess from another world who will one day be reborn. There will be signs Mark her return
1: Withers um Pan's labyrinth is a movie specifically about fascism and the Spanish Civil War so or not so it's very different from what was happening in Mexico in 1910 um, I don't know enough about that history so but it is sort of um which is about these characters getting caught up in this thing they didn't want to get caught up in and now they're in the revolution this is a movie about a girl who's trying to escape civil war by any means possible whether by death whether through daydreaming fantasy however you want to interpret it but it's seen got that lingering quality that leone has i think in this movie specifically maybe um devil's backbone a little bit but um pan's labyrinth absolutely has that i'm just gonna make you linger on things and we'll see how we go Mm. but with with uh the doug jones doing the creature with the eyes on the hands which is one of Mm -hmm. my favorite creature looks in quite a while but Yeah, I think there's slight similarity in tone, though, where there's a Ducky Sucker is going more surreal and dreamy. Of course, um, Pan's Labyrinth is going full fantasy, but um, no, I think it will play well.
2: Yeah, no, that's, I'm just kicking myself here thinking of Pan's Labyrinth and, you know, I, I stuck very much i could not get myself out of the western
0: <laughs> oh neither,
2: yeah western uh and i'm like yeah i should have really thought beyond it but i couldn't i uh you know so it's such th- a western. there's my there's my lack of imagination for mm-hmm. you but um but yeah no i i uh, yeah that's that's a such an interesting call and such a visually striking movie um yeah
1: yeah yeah that's it's a great call it's kind of, Wilma well, Deutores is one of those movies, like, directors I think I love. And then I watch something, I'm like, oh, do I? I think I like it, but I don't think I love him. And then I watch Pan's Labyrinth, I'm like, oh, this is where it came from. This is when I watched this and hadn't seen anything like it up to that point. So I have a weird relationship with uh, him, but it's he's always going to be up there, I think.
2: I really like Kronos. I think we Cronos is amazing. Enough. Yeah, I think Cronos does not get enough love. He he's 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 certainly a very interesting director. Um and and tries to do a lot of different things. Yeah. Uh, uh I get a, I get a little uh, fatigued by him only by the amount of things that almost get made and then yes. don't. <laughs> you know, but you know I know a lot okay. of
1: a lot of filmmakers go through that process, but he's the one yeah. who kind of goes, I could have made uh, mountains of Badness, But they didn't let me. And I'm going to let you know this penguin that I made for it. And and it's like, I would have liked to have seen that. But again, it gets a little bit. okay.
2: Yeah, because when I used to write for, you know, entertainment website websites and stuff, I covered that movie or with the potential of that movie and was chasing down every bit. He could talk about and He would talk about it all the time but he never made the movie oh. and it was like, Oh man, I really studied that one. And I was trying to thought I was going to be on top of it. Yeah. And then he never even made it. And you know, he's had quite a few of those things and that's just a little frustrating, but certainly he's, he's a very interesting, I'm, some of his movies sometimes leave me a little cold, Yes, but I think visually he's like, you know, he can't be topped. He's he's no, incredible.
1: He's a, such an interesting visual st- storyteller, and um, I think sometimes... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just how the system works. So you just don't always get everything you want, made mm-hmm. because yeah. of whatever silly reason. But it doesn't happen. Um, but yeah, no, he's absolutely fascinating, and I still love a fact that Shape of Water. One, I kind of knew it was getting nominated as soon as the fish, um, uh, the creature was staring at a movie theater. I'm like going. Oh, this is going to get nominated for best picture, and it did. I just didn't think it was going to win. It was. Um,
2: it, they, they, they occasionally surprise the Oscars.
1: They will. They will occasionally surprise, like Parasite. <laughs> I just did not think that was going to. As soon as that one best, I'm like, oh, it's not going to. Oh, any one best, record. oh, and it won, excellent, yay! They chose the right movie. Wasn't Parasite was one.
2: Was when when that one I didn't. Uh, I don't think we were at like an Oscar party or anything, but I had not seen it yet, and I had the screener, but I hadn't seen it, and I was like. Oh, okay, well whatever, I guess that's a good one, right And of course there was a lot of people that were grousing online about how do we give this to a foreign movie And then I sat to Eric and I sat down and watched it and I was like, oh no, this is the best movie of the year the, yeah. there's no there's no doubt at all this makes perfect sense. so <laughs> I mean it's incredible film and no, we so got it. I'm like oh yeah. I get it yeah, no, this deserved it. yeah sure
1: yeah no we got it like before uh we already already had seen it and i was just like no this is the best movie of, of the year oh, and it's year just where so good a lot of amazing movies came out in mean, 2019 was a hell of a year before the world just really was yeah, yeah. imploded you... but but parasite is is amazing so yeah they sometimes you get it right and when that one best it was that year remember it was being really weird i was like what are they going to give us to and then shape of water i'm like that kind of makes sense because it's kinda of like the acknowledgement of okay, Del we know you made we know who you are. We're gonna give you this movie because it's the shape of water. But um it's Pan's Labyrinth is yeah, I, I always forget how much I like it, then I watch it. I'm like, no, I do really like this. I wanna be a thing of course it's not a space movie. Kind of might be that Kronos and like devil's backbone kind of are uh, that that secret source that that mm-hmm. is um mm-hmm. just so so good and it's so bleak and so dark and yet so such in the most beautiful way again like *Dakusaka*, which is a 70s-esque bleak movie if there ever was one yeah yeah. so with that we're going to be getting into again as i sort of said the red-headed stepchild kind of
0: rod steiger as one A mean, filthy, greedy, rotten, bloodthirsty bandit When his finger gets itchy Someone gets scratched James Coburn as John The exploding Irishman A walking stick of dynamite With a very short fuse Rub him the wrong way and he'll go off in your face. Duck, you sucker. You understand now? I think you say, cracker. Together, they'll blow you apart. We're like two brothers. I mean, you, you make the holes with the holy water, and I walk in and do the dirty work, eh? <laughs> you come here to join the revolution? Oh, so was enough for me? Fuck you, suckers. I think we should get out of here. Well, you can't leave. Now you're a great, grand, glorious hero of the revolution. Because
2: the movie he didn't want to direct.
1: He didn't want to direct. He. This did is not... the
2: movie he, he wanted to Sam Raimi produce this one, and... Did not want to direct it.
1: And unfortunately, it was- people had just seen Once Upon a Time in the West and went, Oh, no, 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 you're directing. I'm not doing this if you are not. It would have been interesting shit.
2: to see Peter Bogdanovich direct it. Yeah. And- it went
1: through a few directors, like even Sam peckinpah mm-hmm. But then he looked at who was producing, went, I'm not getting a director to produce to produce me. I hate producers enough as it is.
2: And I believe that his um assistant directed was- for like a week. Yes and um but then that's when uh i think it was steiger was like no 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 no, you need to direct me not this guy yeah because he wanted to just have somebody else do it and and not him um uh which is a bummer but i would be very curious to see what this would have been like had this been directed by bogdanovich that would have been very interesting
1: it would have been fascinating to put that bogdanovich um spin on it especially him doing because he never did a western did he
2: I don't believe so. And I think that his films are so much more about character and they're so much more about like relationships. But this movie is about relationships and I'm curious what that would have done to John and Juan if he had been the director of it. But then I wonder about some of those, you have some of the the train crash and some of the action sequences and the bridge blowing up, a lot of those things, which Leone does so well. Mm. And it's like, how would he have done those things because that's not exactly what you think of.
1: Yeah. Um
2: when you think of Bogdanovich.
1: I mean I I know this what what this would have looked like if Peckinpah had directed this um because I've seen him play right. this movie Sure. Many times before. I mean Of course. So I already know what that it, would it, look like.
2: I don't and, think he would have been the right guy. I mean he's we have the wild bunch. Like we yeah. have stuff. We which is I love that movie. I I mean we have stuff. We mm-hmm. we we have lots of great Peckinpah stuff. I'm not sure he would have been better for this. Um the interesting part is, is is what version we get to see. I think I the version on this disc that I have from Kino is pr- I think the version I have, you know, is what I've seen before. But this thing's been cut up many, many times.
1: It has. I've got the Eureka, which has two versions of it. I watched, I oh, always watched nice. the longer one. Um I I didn't watch, I think the other one is one of the American cuts, which I think is shorter. I watched the mm-hmm. restored put everything back in. Once upon a time in America cut. So it, um, there are moments in the movie. Where I'm like, well, maybe we didn't need that exact bit. That the same or that scenes. I think maybe, I think this is the only version I've seen actually. So I can't say that. But it's just, um, yeah, I think that's the one I saw. Like it's definitely the the nearly three hour one.
2: I, the American one doesn't have as much uh, interest to me because it's 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 really one that they trimmed out so they could get more of a G rating. Yes and you know this still says pg <laughs> um was wild this, time. <laughs> it's, yeah wild time is hardly a pg movie but is a, R- the... a pg movie which i always <laughs>
1: yeah. like
2: yeah the um that's that's right um isn't jaws is pg isn't yeah. R or is that are yeah no that's crazy. pg yeah and yeah just parental guidance that's all you need uh, <laughs> um uh, a movie that still terrifies our, mm. our our son could only make it through the the first scene and was like no I can't watch this. Oh, that, um, that was
1: me when I first saw Jaws. I was like oh, absolutely
2: terrifying. not mm. terrifying. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I the the American version was just trimmed out a lot of stuff. A lot of the blood you don't get the uh you, you, they're trimming out like the 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 naked people falling out of the cart. Mm. They're they're trimming lots of that stuff out. But there is a lot of stuff that was cut out too. I don't know if eventually anybody will come up with. A the real version where there are some of the famous scenes that were cut out of it, hmm. which there is some sequences that seem a little weird, like how Steiger suddenly blows up the church. That church sequence where he blows that up was not in the movie when they have that sequence, but how he gets to that sequence
1: it feels, feels off. It feels like there's a scene missing, yeah.
2: like And there's, supposedly there's a scene where they're supposed to basically punish him and they make him walk through the desert without any water, which is again, another scene that they did in the good and bad, and the ugly, Mm. uh, which makes sense. They were right. They wrote this movie for Eli Wallach. I mean, this is really, uh, you know, Rod Steiger's character is supposed to be basically
1: Wallach did get a bit screwed over with this. Like
2: for sure. Yeah. He quit a movie to, to be a part of this and, and then had to sue because then they wouldn't, uh, well, uh, United artists owed, uh, they, Steiger owed a movie to United Artists. So United uh, Artists said, yeah. No, you are making this movie with Rod Steiger because he owes us. So that's how he gets pushed into this one. Mm. Um, James Coburn has has a less uh you know <laughs> hectic story in terms of being cast. But Steiger, they were like, You owe us. Um, and and therefore it is the only tricky part about this movie if you're gonna watch it and try to enjoy it, is just you just have to understand it's a different time. Rod Steiger's playing a Mexican. Don't let that throw you.
1: No, it's, it's it's is... kind of weird because what... Okay, being very naive and not only realizing someone's being a brown face when they do an accent. Um, I only just realized recently that Jason Robards is... Because uh, he Leonie wanted Jason Robards in the James Coburn, but something happened. Yes, it wasn't correct. like...
2: Correct. He had another movie he was supposed to... He was already committed yeah, to make. Yeah,
1: he was already going to make. And it, so... I only realized that Cheyenne was a Mexican character in um Once Upon a Time in the West. I'm watching going, like, Oh, that's not Grime, he's actually in Brown Oh, okay. Same with uh um uh, 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 harmonica, um is, is also a yeah. Mexican. Like just, yes, Charles
2: Bronson. Because Robinson.
1: they're not yeah, Charles Bronson, they're not playing it up. They are Latino characters, well, but they're not exactly playing up the accents or the affectations like rod steiger is and because rod steiger is the kind of actor that he is he's i mean if i mean eli wallach kind of plays it up but not so much as i am being mexican i am just being a weirdo if that makes sense because he was also yeah. playing a, a, a mexican character in the good the bad and the ugly but he's not doing a full-on accent he's just being a right. weirdo when brown
2: yeah. face and yeah yeah it's not yeah it's not quite like the brown face of like you know and i absolutely adore this movie but like it's not quite touch of evil it's not quite like you know um or orson welles in othello you know we're not quite <laughs> doing that not to just make it all about orson welles but um, oh
1: anthony hopkins did, has also played othello and i have seen that version
2: mm, it is hmm. <laughs> yeah uh, i was i was watching this uh show a friend a friend of mine does called museum of home video and he did a whole uh series on like uh snl during like i think the 84 85 mm. season where they had Billy Crystal and and he didn't put any of this in he it's a it's a found footage kind of show where and he put a bunch of highlights of this season but he's like I took out all the brown face and it, it really reminded me like like uh Billy Crystal plays uh Sammy Davis Jr. often in he blackface did. he did that because even- he didn't he. He may have. Yeah. yeah. Julia Louis-Dreyfus is in the cast in that season. And she also, uh, she plays Diana Ross. There's like a bunch of scenes. There's a whole sketch they do about the Negro baseball league. where it's him and Christopher Guest in Blackface. Oh, wow. like, there's a lot of, and it's like, I forgot. Cause I watched, I used to watch, you know, I used to record it when I was a kid uh, SNL and watch it in the morning. And I was like, that was a thing that people watched. It's, yeah so it's a thing yeah. it's a thing guys it's a thing so you have to just kind of i think steiger just got a nice tan he's not really particularly in is, made up but
1: uh i think when i was definitely doing an
2: accent but
1: yes i think it was the accent when i first i mean when i watch good the bad and the ugly it always takes me a long time which is good that movie is nearly three hours because it takes me a while to settle into tuco's character and Wallace's performance in that movie Because I'm used to stillness in Sergio Leone movies. Like everyone's just very still and you're just settling into the mood. Mm -hmm. He's making you just sit with things. And Chuko doesn't sit still. He's like, his eyes Mm -hmm. are twitching. He's always doing Mm -hmm. something. Um, And so it just, that's kind of the reason why I'm like, okay, I just need to settle down. In this movie, it's Tiger's accent more than anything else. Now, I know, now watching it, I'm when I was first, of course, Rod Steiger's doing the goddamn accent because he's goddamn Rod Steiger, and that's what he does.
2: <laughs> there's a charm you, to unhingedness to Rod Steiger. Steiger. No doubt. No yeah. doubt.
1: Yeah. Um, but it does take me a while to settle into it because, again, when Leone, I like the stillness. And I think James Coburn is very good at the stillness
2: well, that like, I want you know, from a
1: Leone. The Steiger Le- is not because he's Rod Steiger. But again, there's a charm to his unhingedness, which I do yeah, enjoy.
2: I- The the, you know the series starts out, or at least the the Dollars trilogy starts out with Leone sort of doing Kurosawa and or blatantly doing Kurosawa and they got sued
1: uh, over it. threatened to be (laughs) sued or something. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, they did. (laughs) Yeah. They settled. Oh, they settled. That's right. they did. Yeah, they settled. You know, he's definitely trying to take those still moments as he goes on in his career, and he makes Once Upon a Time uh, in the West. Now he's into what uh Sergio Donati said in on one of the special features which made me I was like this makes sense he's 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 going as David Lean era
1: very much he's
2: and he's leaning and which I had a different director in mind but as soon as he said David Lean I was like yes cuz I'm like he starts to make epic movies and uh, as of good and bad and the ugly mm. things just couldn't he couldn't just tell just one story he had to tell several and he had to make it go epic and he was trying to use the stuff you know all the elements at the at the time and i love that about good bad and the ugly i love it but it definitely makes the movie a little bit longer than it maybe should it needs to be but this is not a I
1: movie you show your 10 year old daughter to make her understand why westerns are cool you do not show her good the bad no. the ugly because she is not gonna no. get halfway through she is gonna no. go you, you, this is boring yeah
2: yeah you need to show her a shorter one that's a little bit more you know have her get intrigued and want to watch more um but you know he's starting to david lean was like yes that makes so much sense he was especially with once upon a time in america uh this uh good and bad and the ugly once upon a time in the west he's definitely making epic yes
1: they're they're operatic
2: almost and so and so this is one where he doesn't really want to direct it is sort of forced to direct it and is like well fine but i'm gonna go big i'm gonna go big on this one
1: I'm gonna go full dream, like I'm gonna go full lean. I'm gonna go full, kind of just characters sitting in a room with Mary Carney's score going, shum
2: shum shun. I, I love, love that score, though. It's such a good, goddamn good score. score. But it's uh, like two movies. Like the mm. first half of the movie is like a buddy movie. Yes. I mean, Coburn hasn't even agreed to help him out and really dive in. We well, get blackmailed, so
1: keeps... he keeps. Yeah, yeah, thing. Uh, one keeps forcing his hand of like, oh no, because you know explosives, therefore you can help me and then one keep, uh, John keeps kind of slipping away from him and
2: yeah, yeah because if there's it's two movies if the movie had simply been, I'm gonna make force you to work with me and 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 help me rob this bank that's a movie and that's terrific but it's not just that <laughs> because somewhere in the middle we also get. You know, the fact that Steiger becomes this, uh, you know, uh, revolutionary uh, that he never was intending to be. Against
1: as well. I mean, John, uh, yeah, uh, Coburn goes, well, now you're a revolutionary. And he's like, fuck you. That's actually, yeah, yeah I love this. Moment.
2: Trying to steal the bank. He becomes a revolutionary and yeah. frees all these revolutionaries. He didn't really think he was going to. Then he loses his family. And then it becomes, I've got to participate in this. And it's much more about these two guys and their role in the Mexican Revolution. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, this is a, we came a long way from where we started. We started out just a couple guys trying to pull off a bank heist. We saw <laughs> off
1: with a guy. I mean, I love the kind of uh, Leone's opening credits, a legionnaire for a reason, but the whole thing of revolutionary is not an intell- intellectual idea. It's not a book. It is not something you do at a tea thing. It is impolite, and then the first thing you see is Rod Steiger pissing in the desert. It's, um, and he's kind of playing it up. He's being gross and disgusting. I mean, they just make it so gross. I mean, he drops a sandwich in the poo, and it's just like the horse is like ah. But he's <laughs> he's literally he's just a bandit. He's just going in, and he's going to rich these uh, um, rob these rich guys in this kind of massive bus carriage, and it's all going according to plan, and then in rocks coburn with his little bi- uh, motorbike his explosives and they become besties well kind of not because they keep double crossing each other but they are besties in that kind of moment well one is one is like oh you're gonna help me rob this bank because you can blow things up and I, I i like this and it's then you get to the fact that they are involved in the mexican revolution and they're part in it and it kind of goes to the whole thing it kind of does that with the good, the bad, and the ugly because it's going... But the war... Even though I think it's an amazing Civil War movie, I think the war is much more in the background because it's much more about how these guys can manipulate something to get to the graveyard they need to find the money. Um, mm-hmm. It's all about Tuco's and Blondie's uh, relationship um, and how much right. they just hate each other, like but they need each other. So the whole blowing up the bridge is just so they can just get the armies to move away. Um mm-hmm. And yeah, war sucks. And there's kind of those moments of humanity, which makes, which is why that movie's a masterpiece. But this, it's just like, wait, how did we get here? This is, yeah, this sounds like a chaotic shoot, um, mostly because of Steiger, who made his presence known. And as you said, his form of collaboration is just to go, oh, this is how we're doing it. He didn't understand the way that Italians make movies. He didn't, um, him and, Uh, Leone did not get along until they saw the finished product and went, oh, yeah, good movie. Um,
2: Yeah. He, he, you know, he, Steiger, Steiger suffered from depression a lot, most of his life. Hmm. He was not, he had, he had issues uh there's no doubt and uh you know he he shouldn't be blamed for any of those things but i'm sure he was not an easy guy to get along with for, for no. a variety of reasons not just the fact that he suffered from depression but he you know it's 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 tough he had a wild ego but he put together some incredible performances yeah. certainly has has some it's 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 definitely an interesting performance it's a wild over the top performance it still plays it still, it still plays. plays
1: I think there is moments in it when he goes quiet um because I know leone had a habit of taking a lot of takes He was not a especially when he wanted to tie someone out he didn't mm-hmm. necessarily do with Clint Eastwood because especially in Pissful of dollars Clint had two expressions on his face hat without like it was he wasn't the actor he would become this is Clint Eastwood
2: also asked to, to do the James Coburn role at one point and he yeah. said no Yeah. Which is Um, good, because I do not want to hear Clint Eastwood's Irish accent. No,
1: God, no. I mean, James Coburn's Irish accent was bad enough, let alone... Yeah, um, yeah.
2: (laughs) They would actually, I'm sure, have made James Coburn's Irish accent sound really quite authentic. Yes.
1: But yeah, I mean, Clint Eastwood adored Leonie. I mean, that's kind of him and um, Siegel are as two touchstones for directing, as those two Mm -hmm. guys. Yeah, but there are some really quiet moments of... Especially because the movie goes... There was so much dialogue, but by the time you get to the end, there's barely any dialogue, like everything kind of, it's more about yeah the emotion of the characters and how they're feeling and the music swelling and you just seeing the looks on their faces, it's kind of, this, and I think that's when, for me, the performance works, I mean, but I agree, you have to be on Rod Steiger's wavelength or you are just gonna get, oh my God, what is he, what is he doing?
2: if you can't do that you're gonna have a rough time with this movie you yes. have to and i and i admit the first half of it is certainly you get into it because you're willing to go like well this is gonna be fun it's gonna be him and he's got he's with his dad and his kids and it's gonna be kind of oh, all four different days. mothers <laughs> yeah and it, it, it's gonna be kind of this wild and he's just kind of a wild tuco like guy yeah. and you know we've seen that before and so you can kind of get into that it, but one thing he does do is he does handle some of those emotional beats. I, w- I rewound it and watched it a couple times. And I think the reason why it threw me a little bit is because the way this sequence was initially supposed to be is not how it is. But it's the sequence where he goes into the cave and he does find his dead family. Mm. He doesn't see the dead family. It's Coburn who sees it afterwards. But they've just had this exciting sequence where they've blown up the bridge yeah right and they've kind of won and then he walks into the cave and he is it's all quiet and you're seeing him sort of react and process the information and then sit down and i watched through the sequence and then saw coburn seeing his dead family and then i rewound it because i'm like that's what he's okay that's what he, And he talks about it. he talks about how he never counted them before and mm you know uh so you you see it what had happened in between supposedly is one of the more famous cut scenes which is that the doctor that's part of the revolutionary that helps him out on the train hmm. gets captured which we know later yeah but he gets caught by the revolutionaries the guy that i'm trying to remember the guy's name but the guy who plays the uh the uh, general or whatever um, who looks very much like he's a part of the Nazi party and not. That's
1: that's kind of why I thought of. um, um, (laughs) Goma Del Toro is because I'm like that general guy. He looks like the general guy in um, Pan's Labyrinth no nobody's a spanish fascist
2: but kind of looks like a nut yeah i don't i i can't remember he's he does not yeah he does not look like he's from mexico no. and he has but he's he's you sell he's sold as a very creepy guy because of the way he eats eggs
3: yeah
2: not correct that is not right that is gross that is no. gross that is disgusting so yeah, you can tell uh, if someone's
1: the devil by the way they eat eggs that is they, the if movie. they eat yes.
2: eggs like that you are a monster yes. no doubt about it but um He gets captured, and he's tortured, and he gives up all the information. You learn this later, Mm. but there actually apparently was a scene of it, which is supposed to happen right before he then comes in and finds his family, which sets that scene up in a little bit because it's a little bit jarring. Sometimes the cuts are a little bit like, wait, what? Oh, what just happened? Because we were just on a happy moment, and now we're in a very tragic moment, and it's like, whoa, whoa.
1: Yeah, I mean, those scenes could be added back in and I think it is very jarring because you're at this happy scene, everything's exploding and then you just see Roger Steiger sit down and then Coburn goes into the cave and you see him. And I love the, I do love the sound effects. Like it's quiet, but all you hear is like the shooting going on in the background, which is to sort of show what actually happened.
2: Well, because yeah, Steiger has run out there with a gun and he's like, I'm just going to kill them all and stuff. And and so that transition from being this sort of like, you know, kind of crazy guy with his family of banditos to suddenly like, I'm, I'm going to murder everyone for killing my family is like, that's, he handles that transition really well. It's, it's very, you know, he does a really good job in that scene and it's all very quietly done and and done with almost no dialogue. And he does a great job with that scene and that sequence. And there's moments like that where you're like, all right, Stagger, you, you know, you got the goods, man. I'm I'm in, but yeah, you, it, Stiger that's was, also way long in the movie. So if you've checked out because of what he's like in the beginning, you're not going to get that far.
1: You are not. And to be fair, I will goof on Stiger a lot. Like uh, that is one of my favorite things to do as soon as I see a St- Rod Stagger impression. I'm just going to goof for them. There's a movie I love called That's No Way to Treat a Lady where he's pretty much playing the Boston Strangler. But every time he mm. goes into to kill someone, he's playing a different character. So whether he's playing a queer hairdresser, I think at one point he's in drag. I think he's a he's a plumber at some point, and it's wild because Steiger gets to be Steiger. He just gets to be yeah completely overblown go, and go
2: full Steiger.
1: He goes full Steiger in that movie, and it's people amazing. say never
2: go full Steiger, but I think you know it's
1: pretty
2: it's <laughs> great, It's great. It's pretty great when, <laughs> pretty pretty great when he does
1: it. Stiger. It is, yeah, but. He also is a very good actor. I mean, should have said uh, Sidney Poitier may should, should have won the Oscar for He of the Night.
2: Yeah. Correct.
1: But yeah. is also really good in that movie. He's um, also very
2: good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, is yeah. Yeah. 100% agreed.
1: Yeah. I mean, that is to say, I still think Sydney Poitier is the is the shining thing of that movie and should have he's, won all yes the awards. should have
2: should have won yeah, for, yeah um, but rod St- doesn't mean rod stagger isn't great in the movie yeah, yeah I, he's I totally very agree. good in the
1: movie and again he goes through that really cool change of being absolutely racist bastard to slightly le- lesser race to racist bastard because he likes Sydney <laughs> 40 at the end and he's learned a slight lesson but in this movie that change is amazing and when there's this moment when i think they're on the still on the train and they're heading toward the final i think it's heading toward no they're escaping all the
2: executions i think
1: the way this movie is edited you don't exactly know where things yeah.
2: are yeah yeah because they because they did cut these things out i mean it made yeah. sense for me to learn that later that they had because i'm like it is a little it's i, I wouldn't jarring is not the right word because it doesn't feel like it it's so it doesn't it's not immediate but like you're settling into a totally different mood and it's like wait what did i miss something it yeah. has that sort of quality to it and it's yeah. because some things are missing
1: yeah, it's, it's, it goes more emotional dreamy than an, a cohesive piece, which is, say, something like the Dollars Trilogy is much more, more that. There's a moment where they're in a like a cargo thing in a train. There's this bird just will not shut up squawking. So yes. James Herbert goes yes, yes, yes. in and kills the bird. And you then the camera just focuses on Stiger's face. And the look of sadness that he gives his friend is so poignant and so beautiful. It has nothing to do with anything else that's happening in the movie. It's just this tiny character moment of these two of these two men who are kind of going through this thing and that is when Roddy steiger's performance really sings but again it's way later in the movie so if you cannot handle what he is at the beginning it's you're not going to get to
2: you're gonna you're gonna miss that you're gonna yeah. miss
1: stuff like that which and, it, and it's i understand and, if you can't though like it's it's it is my uh, yeah, first I time watching it. it i was like oh my what is happening
2: <laughs> <laughs> he's definitely a little big he's playing it a little big it's tiger. He uh, goes full tiger. That's what he, he does. Goes full tiger. He can't help himself. He was also in the Kindred. God, he was in such oh, a wild. Oh shit, he was too. Yeah, he does some incredible wild stuff in the eighties because he's just in, in the late seventies. And when he, as soon as he starts doing like Amityville Horror and stuff, he's his yeah. his career sort of goes in a really interesting trajectory, I should say. Um, and he and he often goes full tiger, but uh, but. Uh, that sequence was some was one I kind of felt like as I was rewatching it, I was like, this could probably be cut down. And yet at the same time, those moments there at the end. And when you see some of the flashbacks then that uh, Coburn is going through, it's like, no, this makes sense. Cause it's a long sequence and you're like, what, what's let's get, what's happening. Let's get to it. But you're like, no, I get it. We kind of needed these emotional moments and the, a bit of, of of Coburn being a part of the Irish Revolution gets played out of these flashbacks throughout the course of the movie. And it's like, it does, it is very effective in offering you a deeper understanding as to who he is, you know, why he's doing it, why he w- was hiding out in Mexico, why he can't seem to escape the, this feeling of his past. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it. it has like, it's very resonant. So it's like, okay, it does work. I get it. Good job, in, Leone. <laughs> it Leone. I
1: mean, this is definitely the bridging point where you can see where, what he's going to do in Once Upon a Time in America, which feels more of what's happening in um, Daku Sucker, which, again, Once Upon a Time in America is a movie that got butchered in the United States release. Europe, they kind of kept a longer cut, but it still had things pulled out mm-hmm. of it because mm-hmm. um, there's things they still haven't properly restored yet when you're watching like the five and a half hour, hour cut. You're like, oh, that's that's the rough that's a rough part um with uh Daenerys just hanging out in the graveyard for like an hour but it's that emotional kind of resonance because this is yeah I mean this is kind of his movie of about a relationship between two men who connect but don't really understand each other I mean you understand Coburn by the end of like the fact that he's always going to do to repeat certain things because he can't help himself he's kind of finding that okay, I had to get out of Ireland. I accidentally shot my friend. Um, Even though I love how there's that pub scene is shown twice and you just get more information on the second one to say, oh no, Mm -hmm. Nolan wanted him to shoot the cops. Like that was exactly what he wanted because he had to go in there and had to snitch on people. And he he just didn't think he
2: was going to shoot his friend as well. Yeah. Which is another scene that they cut that part out of the American release. Oh. Which is like, wow that's the whole point yeah i think i mean i know they show and they just shoot him and all of a sudden he shoots both they don't show the two shots of each of each uh policeman they
3: just
2: they show him shooting and both policemen fall down yes (laughs) which is like i don't know how you shot two guys (laughs) two bullets two bullets that avoided one dude in the in the middle but killed the other two i don't know how that works but um yeah i i it's all a part of i think you know I think once upon a time in the West is his, I think is probably the movie he felt I, I did everything I could do in the Western. Yeah. It's, it is. It's an epic there's, movie.
1: There's nothing more to say. It's, um, it's, Clint, it's like, Clint Eastwood doing Unforgiven. There's nothing more I can say on the subject.
2: Yeah. I've done it. I've said it. It's perfect. I, we need to move on. So this is like a secondary, like, okay, well now I have to make another Western and I have to make it more than anything else. Cause really, you know, a lot of the spaghetti westerns are just the first plot i was going through it's like you and I, let's just team up. Let's like take on this bank. And then there's going to be some kind of bad guy of some kind and we'll take him out in the end and then we'll high five. And we're at the end. They don't high five. in spaghetti Westerns, but you know what I'm saying? And so emotionally, they, they, benefit, they,
1: they emotionally high five. Or they experience. screw
2: each other over at the end or something. Yeah. It's like that kind of plot. It's always that kind of thing, or it's a revenge thing or something. And the second half of this movie is so Leone just declaring, I don't want to just make that kind of yes. West. I will not be satisfied making that kind of western anymore i need to do something bigger and grander
1: i mean it's something because he sort of all he came out and said i never meant this movie to be political even though he was making a political movie i mean this movie is all about a revolution which is you have to pick a side you are either on the government side that is working or you're on the side that is coming in to attack them that is the definition of 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 a revolution um, of a revolutionary and he goes no 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 it's not political but at the same time he which kind of hints in good the bad and the ugly is that i don't i want to de-glamorize revolution which he does i mean the execution i mean yeah you're right i mean this first half is a typical spaghetti western it is men screwing each other over they're robbing a bank it's kind of a similar plot to for a few dollars more um mm-hmm. where these two guys are
0: mm-hmm.
1: effectively doing something else but their ultimate goal is to rob a bank, and um this is that and then it just turns into, well, we're in the revolution now. And it turns into this much more grander epic. It is that ex- the execution scenes are incredible, the way it builds. Like you first see a few guys on a- against a wall, which is be- feels very Goya. And then all of a sudden it just builds until you see this, it opens up and you just see trenches of people just getting shot. And yeah. um, Steiger oh, yeah. and Coburn just watching this carnage not knowing how to feel about it and because these are both men of violence already but they've i don't think they've ever seen violence on this particular scale before so when they go after the guy on the train um who's the governor who's running away it's yeah it turns into something you're right it absolutely turns into something else it's yeah it's him going
2: david lean it's him going big epic like that scene itself is like a massive set yeah, there's the big, the train, the trains colliding is massive, even though a lot of that's miniatures. Yeah, the uh, the ending battle uh, around that with I mean, he goes huge on that movie. He is like, this is not just another Spaghetti Western. I can't just make those kinds of things. And I think he they uh, he even says in his interview on this disc, uh, Sergio Donati said, like, he he thought too big. He went so into the David Lean thing that he didn't make a lot more movies you know like Look. he should have made more movies he was always he said i was always going up to him and saying let's let's do something simple like a thriller go and make it in black and white let's just do something small and he was thinking i need to go big and i think it's because i mean what a lot of people said was is that uh you know it's him trying to escape the fact that he was seen as this filmmaker who had uh you know uh just made all these knockoff westerns And that's and he had started this craze with Westerns in Italy and that's all he was was sort of this sort of rip-off kind of filmmaker. And he was like, No, you gotta know that I'm more than that and I'm a bit I've got a filmmaker with much more ideas and much grander. And and he and he does because that sort of emotional element of a lot of his even his westerns is stuff that often gets left out of other spaghetti westerns, which is sort of that secret sauce that would have made all a lot of them a lot better. Not oh. to say that they're not fun to watch because I, I watch a ton of them. But oh no,
1: yeah, because yeah, I was saying you uh you do love a spaghetti western, like I love them, yeah. So it's not you're not sort of saying that as sort of a diss, but he kind of started it. like I, when I sort of was rewatching um, a fistful of dollars, I was like. Okay, so when did this craze start? Oh, it like, oh, no, it was a fistful of dollars. He
2: it was. Had, he, yeah, he he was wrote, really the one. Yeah. He was the one.
1: It was the one that sort of started
2: this. It, it came out in Italy first, and it went crazy through Europe. And yeah. so they they were like making all these, like Spain was making Westerns. Italy was, everybody started going crazy, going, okay, let's we let's put our stamp on it. America had almost, had been done, seen it and done it.
0: Yeah.
2: You know, they, they were sort of through it. And he, uh, so- but it doesn't. It takes like I think three years. I think before uh, a fistful of dollars comes out in the U.S. Yes, so it, it's
1: it... it's absolutely fascinating for when America gets it because Leone always thought big. I mean, when he wanted uh, to make even Fistful, he wanted John, he wanted Henry Fonda to be in the. That was his and even Charles Bronson, like all these guys, he's been trying to get, and he eventually does get in. Um, Once Upon a Time in the West, like that's when he finally gets his dream cast. Everyone else is kind of like. There's, damn what a six.
2: what a film what, oh a, my god. what a film holy oh my god oh my god holy, holy shit. shit like
1: it's like a perfect movie um yeah it is pretty much yeah it's so he's kind of getting okay there's this guy who's come over to italy because he can't the studios have just rejected him as a guy called clint eastwood he looks good in a hat and a poncho okay he'll work okay but this kind of makes clint eastwood it was a, a tv
2: won. star eastwood tv star at the time not a yeah. movie star
1: no it wasn't a movie star so he comes over here, does it. He gets Lee Van Cleef again, who hadn't worked, who hadn't been in a movie since uh 1962. Again, TV comes in, makes him a movie star of sorts, especially in Italy, um, because he's made in every so single. Many. I... <laughs> I, <laughs>
2: there's just... so there's so <laughs> many. <laughs> I've thought like I should just focus my spaghetti watch spaghetti western watching just to watch all of his spaghetti westerns, and that would take me years. Yeah. It would take a long time for me to get through it. It's a lot. He did he a just... ton
1: realized oh i can just continue if i just hang around a set long enough they're gonna put me in a spaghetti western at some point because i'm just like hey lee over here okay (laughs) um so it's yeah he was just in every spaghetti western after after that and then finally then he gets eli wallach okay i'm you know he's a which i always think he's a weird choice because he's such a new york actor in such a movie that is not it's like uh is it uh, Scorsese's Passion of the Christ, when he's, like, casting uh, um, Ludlam Defoe as Christ. It's like, this does not... Why have we got Harvey Keitel running around in the desert being a New Yorker? That's It's the same thing with Eli <laughs> So he finally gets his dream cast, and now he's made it. And then people are finally recognizing in the late 60s, oh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. That, okay, there's a thing going on here. Okay, now he gets Henry Fonda. Now he gets Charles Bronson, like the Jason Robards now he's a name and now actors are coming over to Italy expecting him to direct. And he's like, yeah, I made three Westerns. I made four Westerns. Like I'm kind of done. I want to do something else. And I don't want to be, mm-hmm. the... since the Italian film industry was all about ripping off something else or
2: knockoffs, knockoffs.
1: Yeah. That That's kind of yeah. what they did, which I, mm-hmm. well, God bless. I love Italian cinema because of that reason. Love it. That's, yeah, for sure. That's what they do. He didn't want to do that. And I think through, you can even see it in something like For a Few Dollars More when he's trying to do something different already. Like he's already looking at, oh yeah, I did I did. Fistful, what else can I do? And yeah, by the time he gets to this, he's just like, you know, I'm going to make a war epic. I'm going to do a David Lean movie. I've done John Ford and now I'm doing something else. He's he's probably looking at what Pick and Pa's doing. He's probably looking at a whole bunch of things and it's now the 70s and he's like, yeah, I'm gonna make this into a Mexican Revolution movie. I mean, there's already been a few movies made. I can do that. I'll make it epic. I'll yell at Maricone until he makes me a genius score. Um
2: <laughs> and it is really good friends, so by the great. way. They yeah. were
1: actually very good friends, but they would oh, fight I don't doubt like, it. like like there's a there's an amazing documentary and it's just the stories of Maricone talking about Leone going, We had a tempetuous friendship. <laughs> it was a great friendship, but it was um They butted heads a lot, which I think is Leone's version of collaboration. I need to fight this out.
2: Yeah. There's a lot of that. You know, a lot of the Italian directors, you know, that I'm sure we've all we both enjoyed and and love and watch a lot of their films that have sort of contentious histories that they were fairly difficult to get along with. They're very passionate and very uh, specific about what they wanted and were very much uh, wanting to only get that and nothing else <laughs> and we're, you know i think i can see leone in, in that way but um one interesting thing they said about uh bogdanovich is that uh, leone really wanted him to always keep doing those push-ins which is yes. such a big staple in italian cinema and bogdanovich was like no would not want to do any of that yes. <laughs> and i'm are like yeah like- that that would be something that if i'm peter bogdanovich i'm like no i'm I'm not shooting this your way. I'm going to shoot it my way. And I get that, but I I can't imagine watching these Leone movies without having those push-ins. Like that's just such a, and he's very good at doing it. Um, So
1: good. I mean, I love the Italian push-in. I love it when Fulci does it. I really love it when Leone does it. And it's so effective. Like with the woman at the beginning, it just pushes it on her eyes and she's just looking around and
2: she's super
1: horny, but doesn't want to be. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, Leone yeah. Zoom is is something that makes me smile. It's every single something time.
2: something to behold. Uh, yeah. you were saying too that there was something about the cinematographer, right? I think uh, I got him
1: mixed up. It was the guy who oh, did okay. the no. I think it was like, I got him mixed up because I think he did work I think he did work with Leone, but not as a cinematographer. This is a different guy. But it was mm. the guy who did the thirty eight cult special unit.
2: Um, oh yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But he was the guy who also directed. Uh, what have you done to Solange? Which, holy hell, that movie is. Incredible. I mean, I've never seen such a dangerous stunt pulled so casually of the guy of a guy just driving onto a train.
2: Yeah. No, that I love that movie. I think that movie is terrific. I also love Cold 38. I think that's uh is it um I'm trying to think of the name too here. Oh, um yeah, Massimo Dalam. Dallian- yes, dalamano Dallamano. Yes, yes yeah. a very unsung uh Italian director yeah and his he, he had, he's done some really, really good films
1: he really really uh, has I think you're right I think he's a little bit unsung because he's not because
2: he was he, also this the cinematographer for I think the first two right wasn't that's it, it. Yes. And, he yeah. was a,
1: that's it that's where I got it and then he moved to a more pretty cinema, cinematographer for this one because this it, this movie looks gorgeous I mean, he
2: also did um what have they done to your daughters
1: yes. Yes, he which did. is
2: like a giallo, but also a Polizio tes- yes. movie, like blended together, which is wild and great and very interesting. Yeah, he's he he, he also did another, I almost picked the trailer. He also did a movie, uh, Spaghetti Western, called Bandidos in 1967, which, yes. is, which is also uh, wor- really worth watching.
1: Yeah, no, I got confused. Oh. He was a cinematographer on A Fistful of Dolls and A Few Dollars More, which is a much more scrappy looking movies. And then when you get to these movies, they are full, gorgeous, beautiful, epic. I mean, that execution scene is so beautiful, yet so brutal, like mm. which is only something Leone, I think, can do, especially in this era.
2: Because the cinematographer for this one is Giuseppe Ruzzolini, who yes. also was a cinematographer for Treasure of the Four Crowns. Yes. Which is a <laughs> Italian-made movie for canon, which I love it's just an absolute terrific wonderful film that is ridiculous but it's such a blast um, that is
1: kind of what i love about cinematographers in italy they can go from sasperia to um something else really daft in about 2 years <laughs> yeah and then
2: and then and then did firestarter i'm just picking yes! this up and also and got um... firestarter unbelievable so what a crazy uh, like a career this guy's had
1: Yeah, I mean, Uh, it's... These guys have all these kind of amazing careers and they go from one wild thing to to the next. I mean, yeah, I mean, he also did... He he worked with uh, Leonie a little bit, but but this movie looks absolutely great, but then he just did weird stuff, which I absolutely
2: Yeah, he does a bunch of, like, wild stuff, which I just, you know, that's that's the Italians. They are just willing to do a bunch of... Oh, he also did Hitchhike. He also shot Hitchhike, which is... uh, uh just an Italian, more of an italian it's a kind of a creepy movie with franco nero if you've seen it and Oh, David i haven't Hess. seen that one yeah it's it's a it's a it's a it's a disturbing one that one's mm. like uh that's a rough one that's a that's a rough one but shot well <laughs> but but what i did i watched and i was like mm, i don't know if i'm gonna watch that one again that's a tough one that's a tough watch
1: no yeah he also um, did my name is nobody which was actually the western that leone was able to produce and not direct because i didn't think
2: oh he- nice yeah okay Great. Yeah. Good yeah. call. Oh yeah. Terrence Hill. Sure.
1: Yes. Cause Terrence Hill wasn't going to throw a Steiger and go, I must have Leone direct. I must have the maestro directing me. Mm, yes. Uh, yeah. I don't know who this guy is, but I get it. If you're going over the way to Spain and you know, Leone names attached and he's already, you already know he's done once upon a time in the West. You're going to want Leone getting his, for sure. Um, for sure. Getting his AD is just like, yeah, um, come on.
2: I want to do better. I'm an Academy award winner.
1: Yes, I've, I have name recognition. I'm doing this movie because I have to, and Leon is like going, oh, "I wanted Eli Wallach. Guy really it's, got the actors that he ever wanted." But it's no, it's just this beautiful, insane. It's a mess. I mean, because you can tell. I actually prefer those scenes cut out of it, and I know they add a narrative thread. They would have mm, added a narrative mm. thread to actually what's happening, and I wouldn't have to keep going back and going. Wait, where am I now? Who who was? What where are we? And at the point of the movie, I I like blinked for a second. And now I don't know where I am, but I like that dreamlike quality that the movie has. The movie gets more progressively. That's true. as the movie goes. Yeah, on.
2: that's
1: so true. So it becomes more of a mood piece than a spaghetti western, which I think I really I really do love. That's kind of the elements of the movie that I like.
2: Oh, yeah, I do like his his epic feel. I feel like it's it's almost. I don't know enough about the history of this. I tried to, you know, look into it as much as I could uh, before we talked about it. But it's, I, 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 I'm gonna have to study this movie more, which I will. But it does feel like there's just a push and pull on this one where Thank it, very it much. doesn't doesn't feel like it, even if there's scenes in, um, uh, the Good and Bad and the Ugly, where we i know there's a big scene where they go and fight which wasn't originally in the american cut i believe i think they kind of put that back into the good and bad and the ugly mm-hmm. cut uh and they sort of get dip into uh that big scene in the at the wall and the, uh, this big action sequence i love it but i don't think i think initially they kind of cut it out cuz it's it's a diversion right but yeah i love it and i love his sort of epic um leanings but this one sort of feels like it's like he was like, I'm gonna make it this way regardless, yes. regardless of what the material I have. I'm going to make it, you know.
1: And, and there's probably that, a lot of people going, "Why? No, we're making a western. We're not making a war movie." Um, Surgeon is like, "No, no, no. Yeah. This is what this is what you wanted me to direct. This is what's happening."
2: Yeah, and and I think like I feel like maybe sometimes he was saying like, "Oh, it's not political." Maybe that was something he was saying because it's political. You I don't know it's, how you can look at this movie and say this isn't political. And he yeah. used to have. I think it was at the end and it's been cut out of the American release. I don't think it's in this, but he had like a, a Sun Tzu quote, which he had up on the screen, um, which was uh, uh, cut out. And mm-hmm. I meant to write it all down, um, but I uh, didn't have time to do it. And it's definitely, this is whole, the whole point of this is that war His point of it, I think, and what what they were suggesting by using this quote was, is that, you know, war is awful. And what is important is, you know, friends and the people that we love. And that's what's important. Not this, you know, this all the wars that we get into and the destruction that happens in it. So to say that and be like, it's not political. It's just a fun Western. I'm (laughs) like, bro, this is this is 100 percent it's a political, uh, political movie this is a I mean, political
1: even the ending when you have though again i i love the sequence and sequences in ireland I, I love them so much but the the awkward slow motion kissing i'm just like
2: okay <laughs> um, i love that little bit like there there's such a great recognition in coburn's face yeah where he's hold on a minute and like that's maybe why the guy he shoots him in the bar and you're like it it ties so much together about him and just a just a slight moment it's yeah. like i'd love he goes that
1: smiling because it's because everything every time you see something happening in ireland that it slows down
2: like yeah it's... and in ireland it's just them running through a field or driving in a car and they're like smiling and laughing and it's like no mm-hmm. actually bad things are happening Yeah. it's like it's really cool. It's really, it's, I feel like people don't know how to use those sort of flashback moments really effectively. And he uses them really well. On he those.
1: really was because there was this moment where he's just smiling and he's seeing his friend kiss the woman that he loves. And then all of a sudden something turns and then, yeah, you go back and go, Oh, so he wasn't shooting him because he snitched. He was shooting him because he, yep. he was making moves on the woman that he, he loved. And it's kind of like your personal pettiness is always going to go into the revolution that you're fighting. It's never purely going to be solely for the greater good. Like um, Rod Steig is in it because they killed his family. So it's Mm -hmm. kind of this personal Mm -hmm. revenge. So it's always going to be personal. I love that. So when he kind of, I mean, you can kind of tell he's getting ready to blow himself up and like, he's looking the thing um, that cigarette, which he does when he's first about to, when he blows up the carriage at the beginning. So it's kind of using that same visual thing of like, I'm. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna end this. I'm. I'm done. I'm gonna. I'm kind of glad he didn't. I was kind of waiting for him to say "duck you sucker" and he didn't. I was a little sad, but I think it's <laughs> the moment. And just Rod Steiger looking into the camera, going, "But what about me? I'm still here. It's.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm still having to deal with this mess that I've gotten myself and, into. And, and, and he's really he,
2: alone at that point.
1: Yeah. He's. He's so alone. He's got no one else. Um. His best friend, who he thought who he was he'd gone through all this stuff with has taken himself out and as you said of course this is political because this ends on such a yes it is the 70s downer ending because it's 1971 but also it's that um if you choose this path you will be alone Coburn is doomed to repeat the same mistakes he made in Ireland which which is why I think he does it like he can't keep the personal out of it and he
2: can't yeah and he can't escape I think that guilt like he can't no yeah. matter far, how far he travels he also you know it's a it's a a line that you think is, is kind of just a it's not a throwaway, but it feels like you know, it's just him trying to get out of something. But he says, like, so you've been a revolutionary, you came to join the revolutionary, he said one run revolution was enough for me. Yeah. But he gets pulled into it anyway. You know, yeah. like he can't. So it's like he's 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 done with it all. Like he can't he can't and, and he pushes
1: yeah, and he pushes Steiger into it. Like Steiger had when he was rubbing that bank. Had no intention of saving prisoners he had no intent he just wanted to rob the bank like that's mm-hmm. that was his goal so when he's being carried away by the crowd we're just like celebrating him and he's just like fuck you to coburn um and coburn's laughing at it because he thinks it's funny that he's turned him into a revolutionary mm, because right. he but then it all turns very real and now they're both having to deal with the consequences of these actions that they've made and now they're just neck deep in this thing and so the ending is just kind of very much a gut, gut punch, especially considering where you start, which is all this very weird, funny, when bizarre stagger going. Full when you Stiger. start
2: with like stagger taking a leak and on um, this sort of very tragic, sad story about the revolution, it's yeah. like, huh, well, that's, that took us on a ride. It did. <laughs> it, takes,
1: it takes you on a journey. And I know some, it does it really does. You're not, you were such in a different place from where you, Began even good the bad and the ugly it's this you're in the same place you began i mean it's um blondie and tuco splitting the money of the scheme they had and they, then they're arguing um it doesn't mean that they're not going to meet up in six months and do it all again like that's kind mm-hmm. of there is no kind of movement here you are literally in a completely different place emotionally everything like it's it it changes it yeah, you're right. It's two different movies. It starts off as you, Oh, I'm in a Western. And then by the end of it, you're like, Oh, I'm in an anti-war movie. And now I feel sad and (laughs) need to find some chocolate. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's why it's maybe the redheaded stepchild you were saying of his filmography, because it does feel of these two different uh, situations. It does feel like made by two different movies squeezed together, but it's, and I will say that I had watched this before or when I first watched it, I should say the first time I ever watched it, I was, I had, this was probably the last of his movies that I ever saw. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah. And I was like, eh, this one's no, this isn't, you know, uh, for a few dollars more, this isn't good, bad and the ugly. This isn't once upon a time in the West, but now watching it again, I'm like, yeah, but it's got a lot going for it it really does in ways that like not a lot of the directors could even have this is like if you could say it this is kind of a bit of a misfire and I'm not sure that that's exactly where we're both landing but I'm saying it, it it's it's it, it has so much good in it that it cute I don't think I could consider it a misfire it's not quite a no, misfire it's, I, it's I, just
1: it's a mess like editor,
2: it's, uh... it's more of a mess but it's like Kind of a beautiful mess. And it was That's like, it, no, yeah. this is, this is, this is still like, it's got so much Leone in it and it's still so damn good. And there's so much in it that I really enjoy. And the performances are still really fun. I couldn't, I can't call this like a misfire. I, I get why it's not as perfect. And I think it's a lot of it was from what we already said when he, he he'd he already been done with a genre, he was ready to move on. He never really quite got that opportunity to make more movies and get out of it. And
1: no, and that's another
2: uh, that's that's a tragedy, but is this tragedy. is still uh this is still a really good movie that deserves a little bit more attention, despite the fact that it's maybe his his least talked about movie.
1: Yeah, it 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 kind it is kind of people go, oh it's it's not the it's not the dollars trilogy. And then people are sort of, oh it's not once upon a time in the west, and they have a few people who love no, it's it's not once upon a time in America, even though I think it shares more in common with Once Upon a Time in America. He just went boom that like i i think Mm -hmm. i I can't to the point where i don't think once upon a time america is a movie it's something else like it's it's um i don't it's not just the time like the fact that it's was meant to always be a five hour movie it's kind of like this weird experimental dream thing that he happened to get robert de Niro in. like i still don't quite know how that came together and i can understand why um, oh God, it was, was it was not United Artists or Paramount or someone who just looked at this and just went, No, like I I can't do this. It's um <laughs> it's yeah, it's such a weird, strange, bizarre, gorgeous, messy thing. And that's kind of like um duck you suck it It's a mess, but it's a beautiful mess. And I can't call it a the first time I watched it, I would have said this is a misfire. Now I I, I can't because there's just too many good things. In it. it's, and it's it's it's, 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 yeah. it's like
2: it's like, it's like a transitional movie yeah this is him trying to transition out of westerns but making a western yeah you know it's and and I wish he had listened to some of that advice and made a couple other movies not unlike Robert Rodriguez who was yes. just trying to say how do I follow up my you know my debut which got so much attention due to the budget of how I made it I'm gonna make a whole bunch of stuff and i wish that he had kind of said let me make a bunch of smaller movies let me just try a bunch of different things in different things genres
1: to, see what's to get with.
2: myself out of this stuff and then i can then go make my big epic you know italian mm. uh american film but it, that's not what happened you know uh the end of his career it's 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 fascinating for a guy who seems so assured and so like You know, watch all the movies leading up to this, and then Once Upon a Time in America, and you're like, this guy knows exactly what he's doing. Oh, this guy is so in control and And so
1: he's like, he is like Rodriguez. Is he learned so quickly? Like
2: yes yes and he's learned from like doing second unit and being an assistant director and working and working and working through all these different genres he knows exact so when he steps behind the camera he knows exactly what he's doing yeah i just wish he had kind of gotten out of a little bit out of his own way if indeed that's was the cause Mm -hmm. and said let me work on that epic in a bit but let me make a bunch of other different movies and establish myself outside of this western genre so people will you know if if indeed being taken seriously like that was important to him as people then, say it, it was
1: well yeah because it, it happened really quickly especially in europe i mean what happened later in america like quite a f- few probably the late more the late 60s but in europe it was happening really quickly it was first of all dollars came out oh what's this a few dollars more comes out. oh shit this is Europe is starting to sort of paint. Notice, I mean, there's a famous story of Once Upon a Time in the West that this one par- uh, Paris theater played it every day for two years and the projections mm-hmm. came up to him and says, I want to kill you because I had to watch this movie every multiple times a day for two years. <laughs> and it's slow. <laughs> um, I hate you. Um, and he took that as with great pride. Like that was the yeah. story he would tell. Yeah, this projection wants to kill me because he, he could not stop me because he had to play my <laughs> movie and over again.
0: Yeah. And
1: I think he likes... Being respected, and I think he wanted to make the kind of movies that got you being respected, which wasn't the Western. Even though all these critics, because critics kind of hated the first couple of movies when they came out, they thought they were it was too cynical, too violent, um all this kind of thing. But then he started to get recognition from the critics, and I think he he wanted that. I think he wanted the accolades. I think he wanted the oh, the great tour director, Suzy Lee Leone, and unfortunately that didn't happen until after he died, which mm-hmm. sucks, which unfortunately mm-hmm. happens to most directors like that. You don't realize until you don't have them anymore. Like, you mentioned Orson Welles, perfect perfect example. Like, he was right. the wonder kid. He tried to make all these movies. They kept Jane taken away because he was trying to work on a Hollywood system, went to Europe, made some more movies, died, and then everyone went back and watched his filmography. I'm like, you know what? Orson Welles, really good director. Like, he was pushing things that, yeah, it, it happens all the time. And
2: from what I've read yeah, about he, him, he, he wanted he's another, guy to, he, he's another guy who couldn't get out of his own way.
1: Exactly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
2: Because, you know, when we talked about St. Jack on the podcast and St. Jack is made by New World Pictures, uh, inexplicably how they Saint, how New World Pictures gets a hold of St. Jack, I have no idea. I was idea, wondering, but but that's
1: but, Donovich, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And we had a we had a guest on a guy who who uh, wrote a book about the making of the movie and uh, lives in Singapore. So uh, and the movie is just fantastic. It's it's just an unbelievably good movie. Hmm. We all fell in love with it. Um, but they were trying to make that movie, him and Sybil Shepherd, who he was with at the time. They got the rights to this book and were going to make it for Orson Welles. They wanted Orson but, Welles. Oh, because
1: Orson Welles it. was living with them at the time, wasn't it? Around the he they did, did live. live
2: with yeah, him, he yeah. did live with them for for a time, and so they were trying to get him to get his career on track and use what you know muscle they had to try to help his career out you know, yet again. And he just hemmed and hawed about writing the script, and then wanted um, I forget who they casted originally. They had somebody cast, and then. All, oh, Jack Nicholson said he would do it, and then all of a sudden he was like, Orson was like, "Well, I want, actually, I want Dean Martin because the character is Italian, and I, mm. I won't do it without Martin." And it's like he he kind of got in his own way. This is just one small example that I'm bringing up. I, I I've read a lot of books on Orson Wells. I've been sort of obsessed with him.
1: Famously got uh, in his own way a lot, even when he was the wonder kid of the theater thing. He would
2: do all yes. this shit all the time. Yeah, and he just. I think he couldn't help but get in his own way. Sometimes his, uh, his, he just, uh, you know, he, he was a kid, a child prodigy who was told he was wonderful from the the early days and hard. I think then when you, you know, he leaves, he loses his parents. And he runs off as a teen to Ireland and, and and tries to tell them all that he's a famous British actor and does Shakespeare and stuff and sells paintings on the street. Like this guy couldn't, he could do anything. You mm. know what I mean? And, and, and he would always been told he was special and wonderful. And then he immediately becomes a huge radio star and he makes this movie. And like, he's like, I can do it. I can do it. Everything. So like when things started to fall apart, I think it's, it was always hard for him to pick up all that yeah how do you go from so high and 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 try to pick things up and it's kind of was always the story with him and then had just situations like this where he just couldn't get out of his own way to make a movie Hmm. same as leone he just he wanted to make these big epics why is there such a huge chunk of time between duck you sucker and once upon a time in america what happened? Why weren't you making a movie exactly, here and there along it, the road? I don't exactly. understand. It doesn't make any sense.
1: I know he was obsessed with the idea of Once Upon a Time in America. I think he even had, uh, could be wrong, I want to say he even had the book even before Ducky Sucker. Like he already had that idea of, I want to make the great Italian American movie. Mm-hmm. And by the time he'd made it, that movie had already been made multiple times. Now, admittedly, he makes something so different and so unusual and so weird that it's its own special thing and people who watch it are just like holy shit but i think yeah because he couldn't get it his own way the godfather would have been made then um so that kind of started that kind of thing coppola kind of bit him to it well, so but he couldn't shake the idea i have to make this book um i have to make this this last statement on the italian-american experience and i don't know why i should read more about it and figure out why that was the thing he had to do but it kind of killed him like it especially mm-hmm. he was heartbroken when the when the american studio took it and cut it down to oh just over 90 minutes i'm like how did you, no, that would not make sense. that movie would not i don't understand how you do that to a movie when you look at the even the five-hour cut and go yeah i can cut this down to 90 which i know it happens every day in editing but with that particular movie i'm just like
2: yeah. I, impossible. No, it's, yeah. it's
1: impossible. Yeah.
2: I gotta to listen to commentary on Ducky Sucker by uh Christopher Frailing, who he wrote a book, not only a great book on spaghetti westerns, mm-hmm. but he wrote a whole book about Leone. Oh, uh, I need to get a hold of so that book. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I really gotta get that. And because uh now rewatching this, I'm like, I what happened? What what why didn't we get more Leone? Yeah. It's I mean we have I think, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to beat his filmography because it's pretty terrific, but it's like, we could, I feel like we should have had a bit more. We should have had a few more.
1: I would have loved to seen past. a Leone Noir. I would have loved to seen uh, just a small Leone drama. Like mm-hmm. he had that, he could do it. I mean, he, he grew up in a movie family. They all worked on different things. Of um, He worked as, yeah, as you said, second unit and uh, assistant director for years um i mean roads of course by the sounds of it sounds like a J- uh, jim cameron uh, piranha 2 situation where
0: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
3: he i
1: think there was i think he came onto the project a little late and then directed it and then because of that got the chance to go okay you can make a movie what do you want to make and first thing he says oh i'm making um a western more importantly i'm making your jimbo i want to <laughs> say i could be very wrong in that he could have just made that movie but i think colossus of roads had a few quite a few hands on it not just leaning mm.
2: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I've yet to see that one too. So now that's one. That's the last one I got to, I got to check out. And
1: yeah, the tail end of the Italian love with the swords and sandals movie. So yeah,
2: that's, those ones don't, I don't watch a lot I don't of love, those. I don't
1: love them as much. Yeah.
2: Yeah. They're not, um, sword and sandal movies are fine in general, but I'm more akin to the, Conan's or the Conan ripoffs or the Beastmasters, those sort of older ones. Full fantasy, yeah. I'm not as, mm, they don't hold a lot of my interest, but I know I should probably check a few more of those out, especially the ones from Italy, because that's the Peplums, they call them. That's certainly what started or really uh, what a lot of, got a lot of the Italian film industry started on that. um, Before they then went full bore into spaghetti Westerns and then, polizioteskis and giallos and, and, you know and, yeah um which sadly they don't do a ton of that I, I would love to see the italian film industry just go bananas right now and just make a ton of those kinds of movies again oh, i was so I excited to see
1: it. dark glasses and i don't think dark glasses is a, is a great movie because i don't think uh, uh dario has it anymore but there's a it couple may of not movies. be a
2: great movie but it still was in my top 10
1: Yeah, it was. It was in your top ten. I forgot. It was in your top ten.
2: But that look, but but with the caveat that like this was my personal favorite. Like clearly not one of the best films of the year, undoubtedly. I
1: mean, no. But but
2: but he made another movie. Dario Argento made another giallo movie, and and it wasn't a complete embarrassment. (laughs)
1: And it's and it's not Dracula. That's not Dracula. Dracula, That's
2: that's not the last taste. Of, G- yeah. of Argento that we're yeah. going to have it's, left in our be- palates when he leaves this earth, I, I'm so happy for that. Th- yeah. That said, okay. he could make another movie after Dark Glasses, and that
1: it still felt like a Jalo. It still felt like oh, I could see moments of flashes, like oh, there he is, there he is, there he is. When you watch Dracula, yeah. I'm like, does he even know where to put the camera? I'm confused. This is a guy who made Suspiria. He knows where to put the camera. He doesn't know where to put it in. Dracula
2: it's and he has the cinematographer from Suspiria (laughs) they're working together on Dracula that's why I've (laughs) I've said this many times but I always say I think that was like his retirement movie they got a obscene budget from that and I think he brings in his guy from Suspiria and he's like let's just make this stupid Dracula movie and we'll have make a bunch of money and we can just we're we're good and it's gonna be who knows maybe people will like it I don't know I can't imagine I mean, he's made some wild choices in other movies, too. Uh, oh, yeah. His choice. I mean, I still think Phantom of the Opera is his worst. I think that's even worse than Dracula. I 3D. still have not
1: seen that. And one Dracula
2: thing. 3D is not good. It's not good. But I still think Dracula 3D is a fun watch. If as long as you turn off the fact of what you're saying, that this is the guy who made Suspiria. Um, and the cameraman of Suspiria, the cinematographer of Suspiria, and they're making Dracula 3D. As long as you can kind of distance yourself a little bit from that, and I did not just, distance myself from that, and I would... enjoy how insane this movie is <laughs> and the choices that they're making, it can be a lot of fun. Okay, the same I'm... is cannot be said of Phantom of the Opera. Um, it is, uh, it's a, it is just, it, it makes some definitely some hilarious and and wild choices that don't make any sense. Hmm. But um, it's not as much fun as I Ah. think Dracula 3D can be if you go in with that attitude.
1: Yes, Uh, it's, yeah, I mean, Dark Glasses has moments of just kind of like, oh, he's back, I see him. Um, Yeah, but when I watched Dracula 3D, I was like going, this is not the man who made Suspiria. Like, I I could not get my head around that a little bit.
2: The, it's the, a, that that theory of uh tarantino's that we were sort of discussing him earlier yes. where he he wants to only make 10 movies because he doesn't want like a bad movie which i think puts a fucking ton of pressure on your 10th movie i would not have called out i'm only gonna make 10 because like this this last one better be a doozy my man it because better be,
1: it better if be it's the irishman times 10 like yeah because if it's and that's not even okay good. that's not even
2: yeah he's still got you know yeah he's he's not even done yet yeah um and I have lots of issues with the fact that he's calling this out, this 10 and all this stuff. I think it's crazy, but he's right that like a lot of times that last movie is not as good as some of the stuff that's come before it. So the fact that we hopefully can avoid that element with Argento to me as a big fan of Italian cinema. Fantastic. Mm, that's yes. why for me, it was like top 10, baby, because I can, I can be like, whew, yes. we did not. he.
3: Yeah, he we went back not...
2: at it at 80 years old and he still made he made a fine movie. Not a yes. great movie. Not a great he made movie. A fine movie. And
1: it is not again, it's not Dracula's gonna be the last movie that from Dario Gento. I do get dark because, glasses and I can I can yeah. handle dark glasses. I can go, yes. Yes.
2: yes. I can occasionally <laughs> rewatch dark glasses and be like, that was fine. I you know, not watch Dark Dracula 3D and go, This is it. This was his final statement. Yikes. Yeah. Um You know, it's, that's, that's, that's why I want Carpenter to make one more, make one more. Just Just get the ward out of the, yeah. Get the ward out of the last movie category. Yeah. Just make one more. One more. Just
1: one. Blomhouse will give you plenty of money and they will not, I'm pretty sure they will not bother you because you're goddamn Carpenter. John Carpenter. (laughs) Yeah. And they, and they are aware of who you are. It'd be nice. They'll
2: let you have a TV on set and you can watch, you can have a big long break and you can watch the Laker game. He'll give you and plenty then...
1: of ADs, you'll be fine. Like it's not.
2: <laughs> You're gonna hold your hand through this, buddy. Don't yeah. worry about it. <laughs> Don't
1: worry about it. Um, there's it gonna be a, there'll be a lot of publicity, which I'm sure he'll hate, but <laughs> mm.
2: oh god, yes. He does not like doing interviews like he once did. He does not enjoy it at no. all.
1: No, he's just like fuck you. I'm like, eh, yep, 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 that's I think it enough.
2: was um uh in the mouth of madness has a commentary between him and a cinematographer from one of the earlier releases yeah and then a a more recent commentary Mm. with him and his wife who also worked on the movie and the difference between the more recent one which is like i mean she's basically trying to carry the whole thing and Mm. he's kind of being real short and kind of just saying yep no yeah we did this and the difference between him and having a conversation with a cinematographer, where they're discussing through everything they did and the choices and why did you do this, and it's just worlds apart. Yeah. <laughs> so it would be nice to get uh, one last one out of Carpenter. I don't think we'll get it, but we no. will get lots of great soundtracks and and and, and music. So yes. I, I, I'm satisfied.
1: Well, we getting something? And he seems to be enjoying that a lot more. Like I have heard him talking about his music, and you can tell his eyes are lighting up a little bit. So that's just it's very a interesting. Lot of fun. Yeah,
2: yeah. That's just Mark and I went. Mark and I went and saw them live, and oh they wow, were, they were they were great fun. Yeah, super good fun. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And I had to. I had tickets. Somebody offered me tickets to see him again, but it was he was doing a show in L.A., but it was on Halloween, and I was ah. like, it would be amazing. And I like kicking myself not to go see him play Halloween on Halloween would yeah. be something special. But I have children, and I can't bow out on their Halloween because Daddy's <laughs> got to go see a concert. <laughs> Um you'll this understand when you're older don't worry about it. have a great night like I can't I couldn't do it but
1: No that is understandable I'm just thinking of the traffic.
2: Oh but, well, you, you it's like, going
1: to be the same anyway. Los but... Angeles. It is
2: yeah. uh it's, it's it's the 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 rumors are true. It's a nightmare here. Yeah. So there's no doubt about it. That's always a problem. Even sometimes Sunday night at 10 p.m. for no <laughs> reason. It's just ridiculous. But Where are you people uh, driving too. <laughs> why yeah, what's happening here? Why are we why are we bumper to bumper right now? This is ridiculous. Yeah. This was awesome. Thank you yeah. so much.
1: Anything else you need to say about uh Sucker?
2: Thank you so much for inviting me on to talk about it. This was, I'm such a fan of Leone. I'm such a fan of spaghetti Westerns. This was such a blast. I, I love Desperado. One of my favorite movies. This was fantastic to revisit. Um, I'm just thrilled that you asked me. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, no, thank you for coming on. I knew you were a spaghetti Western guy. And thank you for coming on to talk about the redheaded stepchild. Uh, Just for these doubles. (laughs)
2: My pleasure.
1: Um, I love how these doubles are about guys who just, knew exactly kind of what they're doing very quickly and both have this kind of mythology kind of storytelling element to both movies that i think totally works more than actual connective tissue because desperado's in and out well it feels like it's in and out pretty quickly and, and uh zaku is gonna hang around for a while but thank and you y- so y- so y-
2: much oh oh my pleasure oh it definitely feels that way because it's how it's like half the length of dougie's <laughs> <laughs> And you can see some of the influences. I, I would. Yeah. I, I don't know if I particularly have read Rodriguez citing Leone, but I'm certain, much like uh, Tarantino has cited Leone, oh, I am certain that he's good, an influence. Yeah, because... this
1: watch of Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and I just went, oh, this is the movie he's taken the most from. Oh, okay, I understand now. Like, I don't totally. think I fully understood quite how much totally. Good, the Bad, and the Ugly
2: he owes <laughs> it's like watching lady snowblood and you're like yes.
1: oh
2: oh let's oh. watch this movie <laughs>
1: um but no the influence is insane and you can kind of tell that
2: and and who could blame you for wanting to to take from leone he's leone is one of
1: the greats like
2: he's just one of the absolute greats yeah yeah he, absolutely 100 uh, percent.
1: yeah um before we go uh please tell people where they can find your good work.
2: Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, if people want to hear our podcast, which is specifically about every movie released by New World Pictures, uh, where we have had Lindsay on, Um yes. and and check out our episode, most recent one that we had you on for, it was quite a ride. It was <laughs> it quite was. a ride. It really uh, thank was. Thank you, for, I, I thank you for making that one uh, fun uh, talk because boy, was that going to be tough. I really don't know what we would have done if we didn't have you on that episode. Uh, um, I really don't because we were all texting each other, going, "Oof, <laughs> this is a tough film."
1: Yeah, yeah. New um, Zealand movies, uh, New Zealanders, and Australians are really good at making bummers, and that is a particular
2: that was a is a bummer. Yeah. Uh, of a movie, Heart of the Stag. Everyone is what yeah. I'm talking about. And uh, good movie, but it's a bummer. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, tough film. Yeah, well-made film, but mm. tough. Uh, so we we're so grateful for you for coming on. But everybody can hear any all of our episodes, uh, articles that I put up on the on there on our website, which is newworldpicturespodcast.com. Um, I had just had an article that I put up uh, during June Gloom, which is the month that we had you on, uh, that talked about how Roger Corman started in the art house uh, business with. Um, with starting putting out Bergman movies, when, yeah.
1: Um, Erica's reaction to uh, *Cries and Whispers* was particularly hilarious because she—that's a talky movie. <laughs> She's not. She
2: still <laughs> hates it so much and <laughs> is so mad about that movie. Uh, and that's what really started Corman uh, releasing tons of great movies. Yeah. And I'm glad that we got to do that one just to get us started into because he released he, New World Pictures put out a lot of really good movies. They did. Um, Cries and Whispers is also a, a movie they put out. It's a tough one. That's a tough watch too. It's a tough watch. Next next June Gloom is going to be tough, but it'll yeah. be uh, it'll be fun, but it'll be tough. But we'll mm-hmm. at least get to... So we're going to talk about a lot of movies, not just the uh, exploitation movies Roger Corman put out, but also the foreign movies he put out, the movies they put out in New World Video. We talked about Generation X, which is the X-Men comic book movie that New World Television put out in 95. And we talked to the director, Jack Shoulder, about it. It's a good time. The yeah. podcast is a good time. Check it out if you can.
1: No, it's an amazing podcast. The in-depth and the fact that, yeah, I'm kind of really happy you're going to get into um, the fact that Coleman was distributing a lot of foreign movies because that's, he was the one who brought a lot of those movies to America and sort of the wide and a wider audience like Bergman, who's considered one of the kind of big European kind of filmmakers. So I think, I think that's and, going and fascinating. Would. Yeah.
2: And nobody would touch Cries and Whispers. Nobody yeah. would put him out, but him. He was the because of the bomb that I think the Touch was before Cries and Whispers, mm. which had uh, Elliot Gould, yes. and was in English. And he had tried to make this crossover movie, and a, nobody wanted it. And the movie before the Touch was also not a huge success, so nobody was interested.
1: Yes, it was yeah, so this that, is his fellow period. And then he goes, I'm going to make a movie about four sad sisters.
2: Well, yes, yes. And <laughs> they're, they're they're poor, sad maid. Yes. Yeah. Poor, poor girl. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I get into it and I read it in, in the episode and also in the article about it, how they afforded to do, how they afforded to get it and how, mm-hmm. he, how some of the people that worked at New World Pictures helped him afford to bring this movie over. Because, of course... The tough thing with Corman was just getting the money to do the things he wanted to do if he wanted to do them. (laughs) So that was always the trick with him. Yeah. Um, But yes, thank you again for having me on. I really appreciate it. It, This was a blast to talk with you as ever. It's always,
1: it's always so much fun. Um, Yeah. You can find Shock and All on all the pod uh, kind of sites and everything like that. Uh, You can follow me either on Shock and All One or Reading Geek on whatever social platform i think i'm on most of them at one of those names yeah
2: the- a good old x
1: yes yes i'm just i've just like stop naming social sites because i'm just like they just keep changing on me so I'm just I whichever one you're on i might be there
2: yeah exactly <laughs> exactly um oh what a bummer it is to think of it as x i can't oh, do it
1: i can't it's twitter it's still twitter i can't
2: it's like a tab up in my computer and i'll scroll through some of the tabs and i'll pass it three or four times yeah because i just don't it, it won't uh, my brain won't process that this terrible x logo is what twitter is now and yeah. i just i can't it just my brain won't shift
1: no my brain is not Mm-mm. shifting at all like it's Mm-mm. it's just it's just not it's just social media now <laughs> <That's the laughs> only way i can cope uh, <laughs> but yeah we will be back with another double feature all right thanks guys bye <laughs>